This call and is the being best thing recorded. To do, I just hit it, Jenna. Totally forgot to hit it in the beginning. Um, so if you um, are, are trying to kill all of the germs on your hand, minor and major, you want to have colloidal silver on tap to do that. Um, that's the best thing to do, I would say, and it's something you should get used to doing. I remember I talked about, um, what's her name, Gwyneth Paltrow. She had a, has a habit, whenever she's traveling on planes and stuff with her children, before they sit down or anything, she sprays the entire area with colloidal silver. She sprays the, the back of the seat, the armrest, the, the, the table that's in front of you, behind the chair, the seat of the other person in front of you. She sprays all of that down, all over the window, everything. And um, people, one time she talked about doing that, I think it was on her Twitter page or something, and people came out and called her crazy. It was like, what the heck are you doing? You know, that's, that's stupid. Like, what's wrong with you? And they, they were going off. And then a, a medical doctor came out and said, she's absolutely correct. And he had said, if you are on an airplane and you're sitting within at least four rows from a person who has um, a communicable disease, your chance of catching that disease is at least 80% if you're at least four rows away and almost guaranteed if you're anywhere closer than that. So her just spraying that area before they sat down would kill any infection before they would even contact it because before they sit down or touch anything, she sprays it down with colloidal silver. It's killing all of those germs. So if they do touch something, it's nullified. So that's something you want to think about doing. You want to keep that on tap. It's something you can use for for, for animals. There's, there's um, cats and dogs who've been saved from different um, infections that they couldn't get over by their owners giving them colloidal silver. I actually put it in my turtle tank uh, semi-regularly just to make sure there's nothing in the turtle tank that might, you know, agitate any illness in my turtles. Um, so there's a lot of different things you can do with it. I just wanted to throw some of those things out there before um, we get moving. So Jenna, you got everything the way you need it or you still need it more time? Nah, we can, we can go ahead. I, Did I you want to chime in with uh, your experiences? With the silver well, tube, like at least one of your experiences with the silver before we, we move into it, just so people well, can not, have you know, several. Can hear from you too. Yeah, yeah, I have several. So you know, uh, more recently, my tooth. You know, I had a piece of my tooth for whatever reason had broke off. I don't know what I bit, and it was irritating the, me crazy. And that's exactly what I did with CBD, a mixture of CBD and colloidal silver to uh, heal that nerve. And I ain't had no problems out of it since. But, you know, I got to go get it filled anyway. But that was one of my saving graces right there. And that was here about it. That was not too long ago. So my children, like you was talking about, vaporizing it, nebulizing mm -hmm. it, rather. Yeah. Just because I have a daughter that, that had asthma, so that has took that out of the way out. She don't even have those issues no more. And I know that's a product of her growing out of it as well, but it was harsh. So it's, we got a few, but we'll have to go back down through that. Maybe even have some of our uh, friends who had done help come on, maybe. But Yeah, we'll I was thinking the last later. one should be the strep throat one. Because that was very recent too, and that was your youngest child, so I think that that would be good, so people can see the age ranges you're dealing with. Because I know yeah. your daughter with asthma, she's about 13 now, but the youngest one, she's about what five? Yeah. Or four. Okay, so she's five now, 
and she recently had strep throat. So just talk about that before we, you know, move on officially. Oh yeah, that's uh the little our daily prevent that we always do take a little uh probably about a teaspoon of uh silver every morning and every night actually. But when when she got strep throat, what I did is I uh I had her to gargle like a shot glass full. And, you know, it does spill over, so you can imagine it's bubbling up. But I have her to gargle that five times and then swallow whatever she didn't spill all over her face. And uh, over two days, three times a day, it was gone. So that's how we handled that. All right. So I just wanted, some, I wanted them to hear some of your your stories about things you personally experienced with it before we move forward, because we got a ton of different articles that um that I have that I've collected um that we're gonna get into that all deal with silver and the incredible things that it's known to do um in regards to helping with infections. Also, if for some reason you do um take Western medicine, let's say you do have a really horrible infection, and you say, hey, I, I definitely want to take the antibiotic. Um, you can add the silver and it actually enhances the properties of the antibiotic to do even more killing. In most cases, silver kills better than the antibiotic itself. And some of those articles will talk about it. But if you do take an antibiotic, it will enhance the ability of the antibiotic to better do its job. Um, actually, my son was sick recently with, with uh, strep throat and he had a really, really bad infection. And he was just like, yo, dad, I'm taking this antibiotic. So I said, yo, take the silver with it. And, he was feeling better before the 10 days, even though he still used the antibiotic for the 10 days, he was feeling better within a couple of days after mixing the, the silver and, and, and the antibiotic together. So it does enhance the, the, um, the properties of the silver, I mean, of the antibiotic in doing its job. It's also known to enhance the properties of anti-cancer drugs. And what they also found, and we talked about this on the previous episode, was that when they tested, uh, they did control tests where they just used the cancer drug by itself, the anti-cancer drug by itself, the um, anti-cancer drug with silver, and then the silver by itself. So they said that with the anti-cancer drug, it was um, pretty much left a lot to be desired as far as its ability to, to kill cancer or stop the propagation or metastasis which is the spreading of cancer throughout the body. Then they actually used the silver and the anti-cancer drug together, and they found that together they worked exceptionally well. And then they used the silver by itself and found that the silver was better at killing the cancer cells by itself than with the anti-cancer drug. So these are all things that, you know, like I said, we'll get into these things on a much deeper level, um, but I just want to toss those things out there because, um, it's just <laughs> it's something that once you do start to use it, it will change your life. Like I've always said, if if they had that had had access to colloidal silver in Haiti, a lot of those people, those thousands and thousands of people who died from cholera, would not have died from it because silver kills cholera. It kills Ebola. <laughs> like it kills so many different things. So so this is why they suppress this stuff because they want to make money off of your suffering. And if you have something that that cures the symptoms then you'll stay sick in perpetuity and you have to keep going to them for the re-up like, like the drug man on the corner. That's why they do what they do. They don't want you to heal. So silver and the, the knowledge of it has been systematically suppressed for about 100 years now. Um, and that's documented in different books that, that uh, document the history of colloidal silver. It was in the early 1900s that um, 
they created uh, the first vaccines effective antibiotic, vaccines the first effective antibiotic, and as a result, um, they suppressed the knowledge of silver and stopped at having doctors stop administering it altogether. So the vast majority of people don't know about it. It's the same thing with um, doorknobs. Like back in the days, doorknobs used to be made out of um, out of copper because copper kills germs on contact. So you can have 100,000 people walk through a building in a day where whatever diseases they have on their hands, as soon as they touch that copper door, the copper kills whatever germs are on their hands on contact, and it does not hold germs. So anybody who comes after you who touches that doorknob will not get whatever you have. They eventually stopped making them out of, out of copper, started making them out of steel, which is a germ-holding machine, out of plastic, plastic doorknobs. All of those hold excessive amounts of germs. So that's why you have to – and you should wash your hands anyway, but that's a major reason why you want to wash your hands. A lot of people don't know that the first vaccinations in the United States were invented by an African who came here during the transatlantic slave trade. I forget the brother's name, but we talked, I think I've mentioned him before on a previous program. And essentially in Africa, they were inoculating people when white people encountered them. And they, all, all of the Africans who had been inoculated on the slave ship had certain notches in their skin. And that's where they would put that small sample of the dead infection in the skin with the cure to the same infection and in order to create, for their bodies to create these antibodies. So there was a brother who came on the slave ship who actually explained, and it was actually, it was in Boston, there was an outbreak of smallpox. And Africans have the longest contact with Europeans um, out of all the different racial groups. So as a result, he already knew what the cure was, which was to vaccinate the people. There were a lot of people dying in the Boston area, and he basically took the knowledge he brought with, with him from the continent about the vaccines that they used to fight smallpox on the continent. And he basically did to them what was done to him, and he saved hundreds and hundreds of people in Boston from the smallpox. And he was the one who, who was known as the first person in this country to actually create and invent vaccinations. And on a matter of fact, I think the, yeah, the article was, from face to, was on face2faceafrica.com, where, um, and I believe I brought it up. I didn't read it, but I remember bringing it up. So this is our stuff. It's just that they, we- they weaponize everything. I always tell people when white people learn things from black people, they pervert and invert it, and then they give it back to you in a really, really either toxic or severely altered form to create confusion about who actually did what. And that's why there's so much confusion now amongst our people because a lot of us don't know what we have actually done. And when I say that, I'm talking about those people who came from Africa revolutionized life in the Western Hemisphere, whether you're talking about the Olmecs, or what, and we dealt with them on the previous show um, months ago, probably like almost a year ago, and then um, all the way up to the mainland United States, um, the people who were brought here on the slave ships brought so much knowledge and technology with them that it revolutionized the United States. And a lot of us just don't know this stuff. It's just that, you know, we, we, we only know what we're taught and those of us who don't really know how to research and really maybe know about the information that's out there will never know it. But we'll talk about it. We talk about these things all the time. So did you want to start playing the the clips? Yeah, we can get right into it. Just let me know if it can be heard. Sure. And we, you're going to have to uh, post that too, because, you know, we'd be getting questions. So here we go. What you wanted me to post? And during the few moments that we have left, 
We want to have just an off-the-cuff chat. Okay. My fault. Let me let me correct that real quick. I'm sorry. No problem. We can hear you. Can hear you fine. You can hear hear everything fine. But go ahead. I was just saying. What did you want me to post? That uh, what you were just saying about the uh vaccinations up in uh in Boston. Yeah, I read. I already hear the question uh being asked. Where is that? Yeah, let's so, see if I can yeah. pull that up right now. Let me see if I have it saved on my phone, which I think I might have. Okay, so I guess I just bring us in on this. Okay. Okay, here we go. Oh, I just found another one about this other West African who found the yellow fever vaccine. I'm trying to find a word for this brother that was um, in the States. Give me one second. Go ahead, Jen. I'm sorry about that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start this. Okay. Hey there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So we have another uh, message I want to respond to. Um, and the same thing, I'm going to take out the identifying information in it and just focus on the overall concept in it. Um, okay. There is a call to action that is coming out in minority communities following the Jefferson shooting. That is the shooting of the woman who was killed in her own home after being shot through the window by a cop. And while I believe in its ideals, I think the reality would have grave consequences. First, to clarify a few things as they relate to my question, I'm an African-American man born, raised, and back living again in a rural part of the United States. Uh, I have not served in the military or police. There are a lot of uh, organizations that are unfriendly to minority groups in the area. I've been subjected to racially motivated violence, both verbal and physical, throughout most of my teen years. I have since taken it upon myself to seek combat training, both hand-to-hand and with a firearm, and I'm about to embark on a wilderness first responder course (laughs) to better be able to protect and assist myself and others. The call to action that I'm seeing is a call back to the original days of the Black Panther Party in establishing what is essentially a community defense force, giving folks an alternative to 911 to call for non-medical help or protection. I believe in the ideal of localized community defense, and I think that with the technology of today, it would be very straightforward to coordinate nationally, albeit under observation. But of course, we all know the story arc of the Black Panther Party, despite all the good they did. I'd love to know what you think an organization like this or how you think an organization like this would fare in today's world and potentially after November 2020. Okay, so the inherent question in this is, do I think black people should set up organizations like this? No, 
I think every community should set up organizations like this, creating that redundant power. With marginalized communities, with minority communities, it becomes that much more important. So, I mean, yeah, this is something I advocate for everybody. I don't necessarily think it needs to be just uh, just a particular race or ethnic group. I would prefer they be geographically centered. At the same time, in your situation, not everybody in your geographic area is going to think highly of this. So I can understand why it would be limited in scope. That makes sense. Um, do I think the organization would fare well? Yeah. Yeah. In today's world, I do. I think it would be fine. I think that I think it can avoid the pitfalls that the Black Panthers fell into. Um, when they came about, they were a very publicly militant organization. You know, the berets, the, the uniforms, all of that. I would avoid that. I would avoid that today. And I would expand far beyond, just like they did, you know, it's community defense. But at the same time, they had a lot of other stuff going on. I think these organizations should do the same thing. These little community networks engage in microloans for small businesses, um, assistance for the needy, mentoring, childcare. I mean, all kinds of stuff, skill development. There's so much that can be done once these networks are in place. And to me, that would be the focus. It, um, the other side of it, the community defense aspect of it, giving people an alternative to call, that makes sense. And, and it should be part of it, no doubt. But I wouldn't adopt that militant structure that the Black Panthers had. Um, and that's not a criticism of them at the time. You know, when they came about, they didn't have a choice. You know, it's easy to look back and say, well, you know, they were kind of militant and that made them a target. Yeah. And if they weren't militant, they still would have been targets. So that, that doesn't matter. I don't think today that that posture is necessary. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's necessary today. And I think as long as that posture is avoided, you know, you don't adopt military style uniforms or a rank structure that parallels the military, anything like that. I think it would be seen more as a uh, really advanced church group that also has this community defense component rather than a paramilitary organization. And that's where the grave concerns would come in. Because the second it gets seen like that, then it's a target for the media. You're the boogeyman, and you're out to get everybody. So when you're talking about doing something like this, especially especially when it is going to be benefiting one particular community, and there's already a, a storyline that says, oh, they're militant. The first battle is a PR battle. Um, you have to make it clear that that's you're not there to do anything wrong. And from this message, you're not. You're wanting to help people. That's got to be the messaging that goes out. Because if it's not, you do become a target for the media. Law enforcement will start looking at you because they're going to think that you know what they're going to think. Um, I, I, I think it's a great idea. And I do understand the concerns. They exist. They're real. They're warranted. 
but I think the pitfalls can be avoided. I really do. And I, I know that there are organizers in your community that can put it together. I'm positive of that. You don't need help from the outside, but if you want it, I can assure you there's a whole bunch of people of all skin tones that would be more than willing to help. Um, so, yes, I, I think organizations like this are important. Creating that redundant power, creating that that localized power structure is really important. Um, and I don't think that they'll become a target as long as they win the PR war up front. As long as the first stories that come out about them in the newspaper are about them helping a needy family or, uh, you know, setting up a mentoring program for, for children or something like that. The PR battle is what's going to be important here. If, if that battle isn't won, then yeah, all of your fears, they're very real. They are very real because the U.S. has changed. It's gotten better, but it hadn't changed that much. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good night. Murder investigation in Florida. A woman killed and authorities are now examining the couple's Alexa device. Their Amazon Echo. Was it listening? Here's ABC's Victor Akendo. Tonight, police in Florida pouring over audio recordings from this couple's Amazon Echo Dot devices as part of a bizarre murder investigation. Detectives hoping to find audio from the night Sylvia Galva was killed by a spear. Her boyfriend, Adam Crespo, now charged with her murder. Ordinarily, I wouldn't want these recordings. You know, I would jump up and down and object because I think it's an invasion of privacy. In this case, I actually am looking forward to the recordings. I think they're going to show the truth. According to the July police report, the couple had been arguing. And as Crespo tried pulling Galva off a bed, she grabbed a wooden spear that was part of the frame. He heard a snap and the blade had penetrated the victim's chest. Police say Crespo's actions caused Galva's death. Hollandale Beach BD confirms Amazon handed over the devices. The company saying Amazon does not disclose customer information in response to government demands unless we're required to do so to comply with a legally valid and binding order. Amazon adding that audio is not recording unless it hears a key wake word like Alexa. Crespo's attorney says if there are any recordings, they'll only prove his client's innocence. David? All right, Victor Kendo, thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Mandela here. My job today is to give you some quick education on supplementation for any kind of neuropathic or neuropathy. Neuropathy is commonly seen with high sugar and diabetes, autoimmune problems, refined carbohydrates, drinking too much alcohol, high cortisol, high stress. The bottom line is whenever there is an excessive amount of inflammation in the body, you're going to affect blood vessels. You're going to affect the circulation that's controlling those nerves. Now, your brain runs on electricity. And like electrical wires, your nervous system needs insulation. These nerves are covered by an insulating sheath called myelin that is vital to the normal functioning of our nervous system. So when that myelin, which is insulating or protecting that nerve, 
becomes inflamed and irritated, this is when we start experiencing tingling, numbness, cramping, weakness. And this neuropathy is more commonly seen in the arms, hands, and fingers, as well as the legs, feet, and toes. So I'm going to share the most important supplementation that you can be doing to repair your neuropathy. The B vitamins are definitely on top of the list. They support healthy nervous system function. The most common ones are B1, B6, and B12. Although instead of taking them separately, you might want to look for a good B complex. Alpha lipoic acid is definitely up on the list as well. It will also help lower blood sugar levels, improve nerve function, and relieve those uncomfortable symptoms that you're experiencing in your arms or legs. Taking 600 to 1,200 milligrams per day in capsule form can be helpful. Acetyl-L-carnitine is also helpful for neuropathy. It's an amino acid and antioxidant. It helps raise energy levels, creates healthy nerves, and helps to reduce the pain with those suffering with neuropathy. Common dosage is 500 milligrams twice a day. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals in our body. Magnesium plays a major role in the maintenance of muscle, nerve function, and heart rhythm. It also helps support the immune system. It helps metabolize carbohydrates and plays a very important role in helping type 2 diabetes. Excessive stress, medication, as well as poor diet attribute to this. Common doses are from 350 to 600 milligrams daily. Turmeric is known to be one of the best natural anti-inflammatories. This amazing herb will help excel the healing process. Common dosages are from 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams daily. Vitamin D deficiency is commonly linked with peripheral neuropathy. Low vitamin D levels play a role in nociceptor generation, which contribute to the development of painful peripheral neuropathy. Vitamin D is required for calcium absorption, which is essential for nerve impulse transportation. Common supplementation is between 1,000 and 5,000 IUs daily. Fish oil, krill oil, or any other way that you can get your omega-3s, this has amazing healing benefits for neuropathy. Omega-3 has one of the finest anti-inflammatory effects, and it has the ability to repair damaged nerves. It also helps to relieve muscle soreness and pain. Taking 1,000 to 3,000 milligrams of omega-3 per day has been helpful for neuropathy. I hope that this video can be helpful for your neuropathy. Please share this with your friends and family. Leave your comments below, and most important, make it a great day. I'm Dr. Most of us want to improve our lives, but for that to happen, we need to adapt certain positive habits. Fundamentally speaking, habits play a key role in our day-to-day -day lives, but not all habits are created equal. Some can have a much bigger impact than others. This is why it's important that we learn to identify these habits and develop them. Charles Duhigg, author of the book The Power of Habit, calls them keystone habits. So what is a keystone habit? To put it simply, a keystone habit is a single habit that allows for other habits in your life to be sustained. 
It's not much different from a normal habit, it's just that it has the most potential to transform your entire life. That's because keystone habits spark a chain reaction that can have a domino effect and other habits take hold. And often we're not even consciously trying to form all those other habits, they're just a byproduct of the keystone habit. Let me give you an example. This is Mike. One day he decided that he wanted to make a change in his life. He realized that all he did was work and spend time at home watching TV and playing video games. So Mike decided to pick up a healthy new hobby, which was exercise. He bought a gym membership and made a commitment to train there at least three times per week. Now, unbeknown to Mike, his new exercise habit would slowly create other new positive habits. Mike was a regular smoker, but once he started exercising, he found himself smoking less and less. Cigarettes were Mike's way of dealing with the stress at his job, but exercise offered a much better alternative for stress management. Because Mike was worn out after his workouts, his sleep improved. He fell asleep faster and had less awakenings during the night. As a result, his energy throughout the day skyrocketed. He became more productive at work and was even able to land a promotion. Mike even picked up cooking as a new hobby so he could eat more protein-rich meals to make more progress at the gym. And because he was now cooking most of his meals, he started saving money since he wasn't eating out at expensive restaurants all the time. Mike became a completely new person in the span of six months. But he didn't try to make all these changes at first. The only change he committed to was exercising three times per week. It's just that his commitment had a domino effect and he formed other habits as a result. This is the power of Keystone Habits. Just one change can lead to an avalanche of other changes. And stories like these are not uncommon. There are many people who attribute a single habit change to their life transformation. However, if you take away their keystone habit, all other habits tend to become less stable and sometimes they completely crumble and fall apart. This is why you need to protect the positive keystone habit at any cost. Of course, while there are beneficial keystone habits, we have to know that there are also damaging keystone habits. A positive habit can transform you into a better person, but a negative habit can leave you escalating down towards the bottom. So it's important that you identify any current habits that could be holding you back and make sure you break them. If you manage to break a damaging keystone habit, you'll find that the other bad habits often crumble as well. Now, let me give you a few keystone habits I believe have the most potential to lead you to other good habits. The first keystone you should try to acquire is any habit from the health trinity. What's a health trinity, you might ask? Exercise, diet, and sleep. All these habits are likely to lead you to other good habits, but most importantly, they also tend to build on each other. For example, eating a better diet leads to better sleep. But getting better sleep also leads to fewer urges and more willpower to stick to a diet. You get the idea. You can start wherever you want with the health trinity, and slowly you'll end up building the other two health habits. We've seen how Mike improved his life by starting an exercise regime. But I believe improving your sleep first can have an even bigger impact. You might have noticed I make a lot of videos related to sleep on this channel. The reason is because sleep is the most important keystone habit for me personally. It simply improves everything else. I have noticed that whenever I get good sleep, everything becomes easier. I'm more motivated to do things, I have tons of energy, better focus, and more self-control. In turn, this makes doing all my other habits a piece of cake. Practicing the piano? Super easy. Going to the gym? Barely an inconvenience. 
However, if I don't get my optimal sleep, I can see a noticeable difference. I don't have motivation, my energy is lower, I don't have much willpower, plus everything becomes a chore. That's why I try to get the best sleep possible every single night because this one habit has the biggest impact on my day. And if you're not optimizing your sleep yet, I highly suggest you try for at least one month. I guarantee you'll see a ton of positive changes in your life. Another good keystone habit is planning and tracking your activities. Planning is self-explanatory. Sitting down for just a few minutes and developing a detailed plan for the day or even the whole week can help you prioritize things better. However, if you don't make any plans, you're more likely to just go through the day with no real direction. So if you want to make any of your habits stick, it's wise to plan them out. Another thing that makes planning so great is how closely it's tied with tracking. Now, it doesn't matter what you track. Perhaps you track your gym progress. Maybe you track your financial situation and where you spend your money. Or you could even log how you spend each hour of your day. The point of tracking things is that we get actual objective data. Often we're not really aware of how much we do or don't do certain things, but having visible data can help us become aware of that. Let me give you an example of how this works. Let's say you start tracking where you spend your money. For one whole month, you log every single purchase you make. Then you look at the data. If you're a smoker, you might realize you smoke way more than you thought. You usually buy a $5 pack of cigarettes here and there, so it doesn't seem like you spend that much money. But once you add all those purchases up, you might find that you actually spend over $100 per month. You see, our brains are not good at tracking everything, and we often forget to include something. In this case, a few packs of cigarettes. That's why logging things is so beneficial. It frees our brain space and it allows us to get an objective look at the things we're doing or not doing. So start tracking your activities and you'll find areas where you've been fooling yourself and you'll be more likely to improve your situation. The last keystone habit I suggest you adapt is meditation. A lot of people think meditation is a waste of time, mainly busy people. But after just a few weeks of meditating daily, you can expect benefits like better self-control, longer attention span, less anxiety, and less stress, all of which is perfect for people who are working hard. Let me ask you this question. How often do you stop and take a mental break from your daily life? If you're like most people, not very often. We are constantly occupied with something. Usually we're busy with school or work and when we come home, we stimulate ourselves by watching TV or browsing our phones. Because of this, our brains are working overtime and therefore are exhausted. If you're into fitness, you know that working out is only part of the battle. Another part is resting and allowing your muscles to recover. And it's that recovery that allows muscles to repair themselves and grow stronger. If someone is bench pressing every single day without a break, they are not going to make progress. In fact, they're likely to be lifting less and less weight because their muscles are tired and overworked. That's why taking a break is so important. Meditation gives us that break, but we're not resting our muscles. We are resting our brain. And it's that mental recovery that allows our brain to build more gray matter and improve our brain function. Because of that, meditation makes other habits easier. Now I urge you to adapt your very own keystone habit. Build one of them and other positive habits are likely to follow. If you don't know how to develop and build habits, check out my video, Mini Habits. It will give you the necessary tools to build and sustain any habit you desire.
improving your lifestyle isn't as difficult as you might have previously thought. You just need to find that one habit and other habits will follow. Thanks for watching. Hopefully you learned something new today and you became better than yesterday. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mandel here. Heart disease is killing millions of people worldwide. And many of these problems can be prevented with good nutrition and diet. Poor cholesterol, high blood pressure, clotting in the arteries as a result of excessive inflammation. These foods that I'm going to share with you today is going to make a big change in your health and in your future. Albacore tuna, eating this a couple times a week will pump up those omega-3 fatty acids, which is important for your heart health. Almonds will reduce overall cholesterol, so eat them in almond butter or sprinkle them over your snacks or salads. Asparagus has folly. Eating asparagus keeps homocysteine levels down, preventing the risk of heart disease and stroke. Avocados, one of the best monounsaturated fats to lower the risk of heart disease and placking in the arteries. Bananas. Bananas are high in potassium and great for regulating blood pressure. Beets have major antioxidant compounds. They are high in nitrates. It will reduce blood pressure and cardiovascular diseases. Black beans are high in protein, fiber, and nutrients, such as folate, and it's a great artery cleaner. Blueberries have a wealth of antioxidants. It has a protective effect on blood vessels. Your heart and your brain will thank you for snacking on them. Broccoli is an excellent cruciferous vegetable. It will lower the risk of many cardiovascular problems. Brown rice is rich in fiber. It helps prevent heart problems in many studies. They contain lignans, which prevent against heart disease, as well as magnesium, which lowers the risk of stroke and heart failure. Chickpeas, also known as garbanzo beans, is an excellent source of both protein and fiber. This will definitely help lower your cholesterol. Cinnamon is like a magic spice. It reduces bad cholesterol while allowing good cholesterol to remain the same. Coffee has major antioxidant effects. As long as you're not overdoing it, this can benefit the cardiovascular system. Edenami is a steamed soybean. These soy proteins help keep cholesterol levels lower. Whole eggs can actually protect your heart. Researchers in China discovered that those who ate at least one egg per day had a lower risk of heart disease and stroke than those who avoided eggs. Flaxseed contains omega-3 fatty acids and fiber. It helps flush out the arteries, and it lowers blood pressure in patients with hypertension. Garlic has one of the best medicinal properties when it comes to reducing blood pressure, lowering cholesterol, and inhibiting the buildup of platelets in the blood, which will reduce stroke and heart attack. Ginger is not only great for nausea, but it's very effective in reducing blood pressure. Grapefruits are rich in vitamin C and potassium. It helps reduce blood pressure as well as protect your heart. Green tea is one of my favorites on the list. It has major antioxidants. It lowers cholesterol and blood pressure. Kale is one of the best superfood-rich vegetables. 
Any vegetable that's deep green like this can do wonders for your heart and arteries. Oatmeal is another food that everyone needs to eat. It helps reduce overall cholesterol and prevents against hypertension. Olive oil, one of the best monounsaturated fats, cleanses the arteries, lowers blood pressure, and keeps your body working healthy. So use it on your vegetables and dressing salads. Oranges are filled with fiber, vitamin C, vitamin A, and potassium, a great immunity booster. It's been linked to a lower incidence of heart disease. Pistachios are one of my favorite nuts. It contains healthy fats. It will help improve the health of lowering cholesterol and your blood pressure. Pomegranates increase the blood flow through the arteries, help prevent placking, and is a big boost for your heart. Potatoes, when cooked correctly, can do wonders for heart health. It contains potassium, which is an aid for lowering blood pressure to prevent hypertension. They also contain fiber and micronutrients that could help prevent heart problems. Pumpkin seeds also improve your blood pressure and cholesterol. It's filled with healthy fats. Salmon is another great fatty type of fish loaded with omega-3 fatty acids. This is linked to a number of health benefits, which will also reduce your cardiovascular risk. Sardines also contain high levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which help regulate blood pressure and prevent heart disease. This is another great cardiovascular booster. Sesame oil, high in monounsaturated fats, along with vitamin E, D, and B complex. Dark leafy greens like spinach is a great source of vitamin K. Vitamin K helps protect your arteries. Sunflower seeds have both monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, both which are great for your heart and blood vessels. Tomatoes are filled with lycopene. Studies show that people with low levels of lycopene in their blood are more susceptible to a risk of heart attack and stroke. Turmeric or turmeric? Curcumin is the active ingredient that gives us so many health benefits. This is highly beneficial in preventing heart disease. Out of any nut, walnuts have one of the highest amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. Incorporating this in your diet will help prevent heart disease. Yogurt is also known to lower the risk of heart disease and stroke. Because of the fermentation process, this increases the probiotics in your gut, helping your cardiovascular system. Sweet potatoes carry a low glycemic index, which won't cause a quick spike in your blood sugar. Filled with fiber, vitamin A, and lycopene, which is excellent for your cardiovascular system. Barley is a nutty whole grain in place of rice. This is filled with fiber that will lower cholesterol levels and help lower your blood sugar as well. Cherries are packed with antioxidants. Cherries are excellent in helping protecting your blood vessels. I hope that this video motivates you, gets you excited to make a change for the health of yourself, your loved ones, and your family. I ask you to share this video with your friends and family. Leave your comments below, and most important, make it a great day. He talked I'm about Dr. the coming Alan economic downturn, calling it the greatest depression ever. So what can we do to protect our investments? Joining me today, Gerald Chalente, publisher of the Trans Journal. Gerald, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me. So lots of ground to cover uh, with you uh, today, Gerald. Let's start 
with some of the news this week, uh, which will tie into uh, your thoughts about the greatest depression, the Fed uh, lowering rates as markets expected. Uh, do you see this at all, at all as positive news? Well, it's positive for the equity markets and for the uh, huge debt that corporations are taking in uh, to keep expanding. But on the uh, negative end, it's they're building up more debt into the already over $250 trillion debt bubble. So what it is, I call it monetary methadone. They're just shooting in more money to keep the addicted bull running. It's not boosting economies around the world. We're looking at a global slowdown and the numbers are there. And even people like, you know, the, the, uh, IMF, the World Bank, one after another, a warning of recession. Matter of fact, Ray Dalio, the head of the largest hedge fund in the world, Bridgewater Associates, he's following what we've been saying. First, we came out this past June and talked about the beginning of the gold bull run when gold was $1,332 an ounce. And he came out two weeks later and said he was bullish on gold. Remember, this is the the head of the largest hedge fund in the world. And then just a few weeks ago, he's now he's worried about a great depression. Yep. So the people see it. And again, it's just artificially being boosted by central banks injecting more cheap money, lowering interest rates. And now we have the Federal Reserve. What? We're not going to call it quantitative easing. We're going to make up another story. We're pumping in $60 billion a month to buy uh, treasuries. Oh, and by the way, $120 billion a day into the repo market. So, so I have a quote for you here. Uh, Janet Yellen, as you know, former Fed chair, has said that two things kill off an economic expansion, financial imbalances and the Fed. Uh, so do you agree with her that the Fed may be wrong and may actually expedite the coming recession? No, the, what the Fed is doing is they're, they're trying to hold it back by pumping this cheap money in. But it's only temporary. You're seeing housing sales go back up. Mortgage refis go back up because the money is cheap. But the earnings aren't there. The debt levels for the consumers are getting heavier and heavier. So it's artificially propping it up just like it did since the panic of 08. It hasn't filtered back to society. It's only gone to the 1%. And I'm not making that number up. You have three people in the United States. Bezos, Buffett, and Gates have more money than half of America's population. And then you go around the world, according to the Oxfam Institute, and what do they have? 26 people have more dough than half the world's population combined. So, no, it's not working. It's only making it worse. So, so let's play out this scenario, uh, Gerald, because you have said the next recession would be worse than the Great Depression. Um, you know, where you know, how are you protecting yourself and where should investors go as a safe haven? I'm pretty sure you're going to say gold, but you know what else? Well, you know, I can't give financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but speaking for myself, I call it guns, gold, and a getaway plan. You know, gold is number one. And that doesn't mean, you know, one of the things that I learned, took me a lot of years to learn, is that when things collapse, it doesn't collapse everywhere and at every level. And then things, things start coming back. So it, when, when the collapse happens, yeah, it's time to wait and look. But there's 7.5 billion people on the planet. Not everybody's going to go down. 
So there's going to be opportunities as well. But for me, speaking only for myself, gold is the number one investment. And I've been saying that since I began buying gold in 1970. So, so are you all in gold right now, Gerald? Yes. A physical? Both. Because I have, you know, retirement things I right. put so I put in, you know, IRA, uh, the GLD ETFs. Okay. How about any of the other precious metals, silver, platinum, palladium? Yeah, I, I have some silver, but gold is my priority. I, I have two-thirds gold. I also want to get your thoughts on on what we're seeing on a global scale here, uh, Gerald. We were having a conversation offline before, you know, no shortage of countries here, Ecuador, Chile, Algeria, uh, Lebanon, Colombia. Uh, you know, have you ever seen in your lifetime this many uprisings happening? And what is this signaling? It's signaling the people have had it. Again, the money's gone to the 1%. When people lose everything and have nothing left to lose, they lose it. And they're losing it. And, and this is part of the greatest depression. It's a stage one. It's already happened. Millions of people taking to the street, protesting that they don't have enough money to live while they're getting higher taxes, costing more for for everyday living. So they've had it. And very important. This is extremely important. All of these movements don't have leaders, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's Spain, whether it's Lebanon, what's going on in Iraq with the massive demonstrations, Ecuador, Chile, Bolivia, uh, Colombia, one after another, no leaders because the people feel it. And this is part of the greatest depression. When we say it's going to go, get worse, you have when the De- Great Depression hit, there were 2 billion people on the planet. We've added 5.5 billion more. They're out of work. They're living in poverty, violence all around them, corruption. So this thing is exploding. And, and while this is happening, you know, and I want to know if you think there's a correlation here. We've seen Bitcoin take off once again. Uh, do you feel that people are looking or are desperate for other forms of, of currency here, of alternatives to their currency? Absolutely. And there's the people that don't believe in gold or silver or other precious metals, and they're, they're going into uh, cryptocurrencies. And again, you're going to start seeing it increase, particularly as economies go down, their currencies weaken, inflation skyrockets. Why wouldn't you want to have an alternative to a digital currency of a state backed by nothing and printed on nothing with huge amounts of debt load on top of you. All right, let's uh, bring it back home here. Gerald, we brought this up the last time when there was talk about the impeachment. Latest news right now, the House just passed a resolution formalizing the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. I know last time you said this is just all a massive waste of time. Have you changed your tune? No, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a sick joke. I mean, you know, first of all, what has he done? You know, I'm no Trump fan. You know, I can't stand what he's doing, you know, in, in his foreign policy with Iran and Venezuela and a lot of other things. But what did he do? He wanted to find out how dirty was the Biden deal. His little boy, Hunter, gets 50 grand a month, makes $3 million and knows nothing about anything about the industry, Burisma Energy or, or the oil business. So, yeah, Trump wants to use it as a leverage to win the presidential reality show. 
Is this an impeachable offense? How about an impeachable offense starting wars based on lies? Let me tell you something. That's Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and ties to al-Qaeda. The big issues are ignored. It's the presidential reality show, and it's the dumbo craps against the repulsive kins as I see it. I think I'm going to leave viewers with that thought from you, Gerald. Uh, always appreciate your passion and your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, and thank you for all that Kitco does to keep the people ahead of the trends and on top of the news. All right, thank hey. you so much. Hey, get off the phone. Man, put those scissors down. Put those scissors down. Shoot me. You're not next to shoot me. You're going to have to shoot me. Put those scissors down. Hey, put those fucking scissors down. Put those scissors down. Put those scissors down. Hey, go back over there. You're going to have to shoot me, okay? You're going to have to shoot me. You ain't taking me, motherfucker. You're slaving me, gang. 1043 at 1033 channel. Give me a speaker back over here. Got a white female. Hey, if you come over here, I will kill you. Drop the scissors. Drop the scissors. Shots fired. Shots fired. White female on the ground. Still got scissors in her hand. Shots fired. Shots fired. Drop the scissors. Drop the scissors. Hey, back up. Everybody back up. Hey, get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Oh, yeah. Go that way. Go that way. Man, drop the scissors, please. Drop the scissors, man, please. Drop them. Drop them. Take one, get the fire department out, in route. Hey! Hey! Get off the phone! Man, put those scissors down. Put those scissors down. Now, there really isn't anything radically wrong with being sick or with dying. Who said you're supposed to survive? Who gave you the idea that it's a gas to go on and on and on? And we can't say that it's a good thing for everything to go on living. In the very simple demonstration that if we enable everybody to go on living, we overcrowd ourselves. That we're like an unpruned tree. On this channel, we tend to talk a lot about success, but we never really talk about what success actually is. Like many others, I grew up equating success with money, status, fame, and power. And for many years, that was my definition of success, so I pursued just that. But over time, my perception has changed. You see, success is a very personal thing. And you'll understand what I mean after I tell you the story of two brothers. There were two brothers that grew up together, Mike and John. 
they lived pretty similar, normal, everyday lives. However, after graduating college, they went their separate ways. They both wanted to be successful, but each had a slightly different vision in mind about what that meant. After college, Mike got a high-paying job as an investment banker. He decided this was the best path for him, as it would allow him to reach his version of success, which was money, status, fame, and power. And over the years, Mike actually became one of the best-paid investment bankers. He got a lot of respect for his work, and he was semi-famous in the investment community. And since Mike was making a ton of money, it allowed him to get a big fancy house and a nice sports car. You could say that Mike was very successful at what he did. But all this success came with a sacrifice. Mike's work consumed almost 80 hours of his time per week. That meant he didn't have time to go out and socialize, he didn't have time for hobbies, and he couldn't find the time to acquire a loving partner. His job was stressful as he had to deal with difficult clients every single day. And even when Mike finished his job for the day, he couldn't relax when he got home, but instead was still thinking about work. He simply didn't have the time nor energy to dedicate to anything else but his job. But to reach this success, those were the necessary sacrifices that had to be made. And Mike considered them worth it. John had a different idea about what it meant to be successful. After graduating college, John didn't pursue a high-paying job. Instead, he followed his passion, which was photography. He wasn't making much money. In fact, he was barely getting by, living paycheck to paycheck. But while John wasn't rich nor famous, he had something else in abundance. And that is a lot of free time. Because he worked as a freelancer, he didn't have to work long hours. He could choose how long he worked, and John chose to work no more than 20 hours per week. This allowed him to spend his time on things that actually mattered to him. He had a big circle of friends, and he enjoyed their company. He had a loving girlfriend who went on adventures with him, and they regularly talked for hours, and they were even planning on starting a family together. And more than anything, John loved to spend his time reading books which widened his worldview. Even though John wasn't famous, didn't have a big house nor a fancy car, he was happy with his job and his life overall. So who do you believe is more successful, Mike or John? If you were to ask Mike, he would say that he's more accomplished than his brother. But if you were to ask John the same thing, he would say he is the one who is more successful. Each one of us has a different vision of what success is. To some people, it's making a lot of money or being famous. To others, it's having great relationships or loads of free time. While we might believe that our version of success is the correct one, we need to consider that other people don't share the same vision. Now, if you were to ask me, I would say both Mike and John are successful. Success is setting a goal for yourself and reaching it, no matter what that goal is. That being said, you should never pursue someone else's dream. Just because someone says that being a lawyer and having money is success, it doesn't mean you should pursue it. Your dreams should never be determined by what others think. Otherwise, you'll live a highly disappointing life. 
So make sure whatever you're aiming for is for yourself and not for approval of others. You need to define what success is to you personally and then follow that path until you reach your goal. And that is true success. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Can you hear me, Russ? Yes, I hear you fine. Okay. So I know we played that last week, but we had a special guest, Brother Dave, to come on and talk about somebody too. Incoming. <laughs> Uh, science we should be looking for. I see a bank run sometime in the near future. I don't know if it'll be here or somewhere else, but somebody going to try to have some money. But to start off these clips, what did you think about the brother uh, writing in to, I can't remember what his name is, about the uh, the paramilitary group? I thought it was weird that he would even ask that question. I mean, I know a lot of people go to that, to that YouTube to uh, find different answers. But you would think he would have contacted one of the black YouTubers and asked them. But I guess if you want to know what a slave catcher is going to do, you would go to a woodsman if that's the closest thing you can find. I think that it was a good codified <clears throat> set of information because nobody would, first of all, I think just with today's climate, with all the misinformation that's going on, especially the misinformation propagated by black people to black people, I think um, a lot of, some people aren't trying to deal with dissension. And sadly, the way that a lot of us act in the public space the way that we talk about other black people. That's why I always say, like, one of the greatest things Dr. Wealth and, and um, Nilly Fuller had propagated uh, was just not name-calling other black people. And I think with all of the, the, the high atmosphere of black people going at other black people and calling each other coons and whatever other names white people invented for us that we've adopted now to hate ourselves, um, I think that could be a driving factor. I'm not, I could be incorrect. That might've drove him away from wanting to deal with a black person in reference to asking that question. Um, I know that's something I would think about if I had a question of that type. Um, I would think about that just because like I said, there's just way too much misinformation being put out by black people to other black people under a premise of, you know, some people uh, claiming some level of expertise with something and then you might hear from someone else who actually has expertise and what they're saying doesn't coincide with what this particular person, quote unquote, who claimed to understand and know about and be an expert in this particular subject is saying. That could be one thing. The other thing is, I think that's a great level of codification because if you want to know what will trigger white people, ask a white person. Mm. That's not a question the black person can answer. 
a black person can assume, and, and you know, you can take history as your, um, your, your prerequisite premise to say, okay, based on history, this is what I know, based on what I've seen, you know, repeated, like, you know, like they say with an experiment, the, the whole idea of seeing if something, an experiment is true or not or good is the ability to repeat it. So if you look at white people's repeated behavior and you're a student of history in that kind of way, an astute student of history, you'll be able to get an idea. But to me, he made the greatest greatest um, move. You know, if you want to know about how white people will feel about uh, black people or non-white people creating these uh, local uh, paramilitary uh, community service groups, um, ask one of them. And I think he laid it out quite well as far as just um, I think a lot of black folks go into things ideologically, and that's where we get into trouble. A lot of us will be so um, against quote, the quote-unquote white person or the white people or the, the, the as the old, older black folks used to say, the man, that they'll be like, I don't care. I'm willing to, you know, do and say whatever publicly and miss that in the third, and they want to act extra masculine and extra tough, which is something we've adopted from white people in the first place, that whole way of being that hyper-aggressive, you know, way of being, and they'll put other aspects of what they're trying to do in jeopardy because of that stance. So that's why he was saying, you know, do not uh, take a a military hierarchy, don't wear military outfits. In other words, he's talking about codification. That, that, That Neely Fuller could have been saying everything he said. Make it like it's a, a community church group that also organizes in, in, in a clandestine paramilitary way. Don't put it out there that you're doing what you're doing and going on the news. Because if you remember, the brother who, um, uh, Rakim Balagoon, who was the uh, first black identity extremist that went through FBI scrutiny, he was arrested in his underwear with his son in the house and all of that. Everybody should remember that. That was a pretty nationally and internationally famous case, especially amongst the global African community. Um, one of the things that he was known for doing was making videos where he's, you know, talking about guns and paramilitary and we're, we're going to protect our hood and all of this stuff, which is fine. I just don't, I didn't think it was smart to do it on camera. You know, today, and it's something that even Malcolm X used to talk about, not giving so much away. Like, stop telling all your business. Like, we're so used to telling. And it really has to do with the psychosocial conditioning of the alphabet boys. I've said this before. When you go back to before 20, 30 years ago, in order for any of the alphabet groups to find out information about someone they were they wanted to surveil, they would have to go through a legal process, get a warrant from a judge. They would get a warrant to specifically either tap your phone, go through your garbage, monitor your activities, break in your house when you're not there, and go through your personal effects. They had to get legal jurisdiction to do that. Otherwise, anything they found couldn't be held up in court, and they could possibly be sued. But what they did was they partnered with Mark Zuckerberg and all the people who make social media and said, let's make Facebook where everybody tells on themselves. And it's under this premise of us staying in touch with each other and staying in touch with your college, college classmates and your friends and family and all of that nonsense. And everybody just gives it all away. So now you have black people committing crimes on camera. 
something that never used to happen in history. People committing crimes and filming the crime and posting it online and then wondering why their doors kicked in and SWAT's coming in their room. You had a young brother who was up there selling drugs. He was talking on camera, um, holding stacks of cash, and the feds kicked in his door live on his stream and arrested him. You know what I'm saying? You had another guy a number of years ago, his wife was on Facebook. Him and his wife was on Facebook. They had an actual argument in the house, and she went on Facebook and turned herself from married to single. And that was enough to set her husband off that he would shoot her to death in her own kitchen and film it, Facebook Live the bad boy, where you could see him shoot her, and then her body slumped over on the floor and her leaking out on camera. When does this ever happen? But that's how powerful addiction and narcissism can be when it when it's a perfect algorithm of how to tap into human behavior and how to tap into that human addiction algorithm and exploit it to the nth degree where people are becoming more and more stupid. We talked about this on a previous episode. I was listening to it before. I think it was the one we did on uh, what, what came first, the standing army or nationality. And it was all about the fact that the human attention span used to be 12 seconds. And it dropped to below that of a goldfish, which was six seconds. So we've been so conditioned to just swipe, left swipe, right swipe, you know, jump from thing to thing, wait for the dopamine rush of seeing who liked something that we put online or who commented on something that we put online, that we don't even have an attention span longer than a goldfish. You also have the fact that most people, and, that, and scientists are saying eventually, all human beings are going to be nearsighted because we no longer use our distance vision. We're staring at, at small screens all the time. We're staring at computers all the time. So, that, so a lot of people are being naturally born nearsighted. We had distance vision to protect us from predators, to be able to scan in great detail our surroundings to see if there was any camouflage predators in the foliage. We have some of the best vision as far as detail and being able to discern certain patterns, um, and that's what our ancestors used to survive before we created uh, civilized societies as far as clusters of human beings living in, in, in cities and things of that nature. So because we don't use that vision anymore, we're staring at a phone all day, people dying, falling into manhole covers because they're staring at their phone all day, we're actually being born genetically predisposed to being nearsighted. So these are all the things that are being exploited by, by our colonizers against us that we're not even conscious of. And I believe it was um, Go Joseph Goebbels who said this to, to Hitler, and this, I'm paraphrasing, but the true expression of power is the ability to control the thoughts and actions of your victim, but get them to believe that they thought of the original thought themselves. So in other words, if they knew that you the one who planted that thought, they would be completely uncomfortable with it and probably wouldn't follow through with it. But because you conditioned them to think that the thought you implanted in their head was an original thought of their own, they have no problem doing it. And they don't realize that they're, that they're actually being set up to screw themselves over down the road. That's how we're, we are today when it comes to the way that we view something like creating a paramilitary group. 
a lot of us were going headlong with emotion and we want to be the tough guy and we want to hold the guns and have that, that Black Panther-esque sort of a um, uh, aura. So, yeah, I'm an extra tough black dude and I'll, you know, I'll use these guns and, you know, I'll put in that work and all of the tough talk that goes with it. And then when they send their military against our little group, because we don't have a military, we don't have a lot of us organization, we don't have a bunch of people that are ready to die for any cause whatsoever, unless it's hustling. We have not been effectively able to convert gangs into a military force to protect the neighborhood like some of them used to be, or a lot of them used to be before they were converted into death machines that hip-hop helped facilitate. So I think he did a genius thing by asking a white guy, what's the best way of doing this and do you think it would be effective? And I think what he laid out was a great idea of how to make an effective paramilitary group that would not be viewed by white people as a paramilitary group. And again, the white man was talking about codification. And there's a lot of black people who don't really understand codification. They use the word, you know, they'll talk about it all the time, but then you'll see in this thought speech and action action that really they're not codified at all. You know, um, there's a lot of prominent black YouTubers who talk about being on code. And, you know, there's one in particular who's had Dr. Wilson in a bunch of his movies and all of that, the queen of codification. He's talked about nearly full of a thousand times, but yet one of the main things she talked about, not name calling other black people, stop calling black people coons, do not talk about black people negatively in front of non-black people. He does all of that. He got a white mother-in-law. He's disrespectful of black people, black women, all in front of his mother-in-law and all of that. But yet he'll be the first one to talk about being on code. What's your code then? Because that's not being codified. So these are all things that we have to think of first. We have to think, we have to preemptively think before even thinking of doing something like that. And it has to be people who are so forward-thinking about protecting what they're trying to create that they don't make fatal mistakes before they even get it started. I'll give you a brief example before we move on, because I think this is a very important topic, especially for the survival of black people in the the near future and in the coming years after this economic collapse happens. I remember Malcolm X, uh, this is the organization of Afro-American unity that he used to have a paper he would write, um, um, the regular newspaper would write. I'm forgetting the title of it off, off the top of my head right now. And he, they were writing up a, a piece on a young black male who was, was murdered by a police officer. And the guy who was writing the piece for the, for the um, newspaper basically called the officer a murderer in the piece. Like he was just straight up blatant about it. Excuse me, this officer is a murderer. He killed this young black male unarmed, da 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 This was in the 60s. And Malcolm pulled him to the side, and Malcolm said to him, you have to change that word. He said, why, Mr. Malcolm? He said, because the word murderer is a legal term. And if this white officer is not convicted of murder, he can sue you for libel and slander. And that can cause problems not just for you personally, but for the entire organization, due to the fact that you have legally violated his rights because the law may not have seen him as a murderer, especially if he walks. 
So you calling him a murderer before he was actually convicted of murder is setting you up for a legal situation that's going to also spill over to the organization that we're trying to build and grow. Change it from murderer to killer because he actually killed this guy, but killing is not a legal term. So he can't turn around and say you, you, you slandered him because he actually killed someone. And the brother, I remember he was on Like It Is, and he was like, um, I believe his name was um, was Ben. It might have been Ben or the, or the other brother, Peter, um, Peter Bailey. And he had said that was one thing that made him understand how deep of a thinker Minister Malcolm was and how forward thinking he was about and so how deep it was his understanding of how white people in their system function that he said, you want to take the path of least resistance. You want to call it for what it is. But say it, and again, we've talked about this a thousand times, Jenna, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You will be able to get away with calling him a killer because that's what he is, and he'll never lose the stain of being a man who took the life of another man. But legally, you won't be liable for using the term killer, but you will be liable for using the term murderer. How many black people do you know, for everybody in earshot, that is that deeply entrenched in understanding the system that they will be forward thinking on something as simple as that. And how many black males do you know for everybody in earshot who would think of doing a paramilitary organization that would posture in exactly the opposite ways to which the white man said we should posture. The overwhelming majority of black men would posture exactly that way, showing the guns, making videos, posting them on Vimeo or YouTube or some other platform, talking crazy, F the man, all this stuff. And when they finally get the white man's attention, they realize they really didn't want it because they don't have any standing army to really facilitate doing the damn thing. And when they come and get you, you end up with your hands in the air like Joaquin Balagoon, not grabbing no guns, getting busy, or none of that. And then Corrine Gaines, who was, I'm sovereign. You can't tell me what to do. I don't work according to your laws. This country, you know, doesn't own me or whatever other stuff she says. Sitting there with a shotgun, sun in her arm, caught a bullet to the chest. And her family just won, I believe it was uh, $2 million, or either 2 or $10 million. I just saw the article a couple of days ago um, for the city of, uh, city, I believe, of Baltimore, I think it was, or somewhere in the Maryland area when he shot and killed her. So that's what I wanted to say about that. Maybe I was long-winded and around the mulberry bush, but I think that this needed to be explored thoroughly, and I want to get people to really think about the fact that a lot of times we don't think before we do things. We just do it. And a lot of our behaviors and posturings are actually colonizer posturing. The way, the way that we see masculinity is a white man's version of masculinity, not an African version. I've seen African men who got fed up of things and their ways of dealing and reacting to those things. It don't mean they won't get in your ass and beat you up or do whatever they got to do, but their way of expressing manhood and masculinity is completely different to the way that white people express manhood and masculinity. And the vast majority of us here have assimilated the white man's version of masculinity and, 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 and manhood. So we think that that's the way to behave. And it always gets us in trouble because we've been conditioned to be emotional beings. And emotions set you up for failure down the road because you're not thinking. Emotions are states of trance. That's the reason for the Sphinx having that human head on a lion-eyed body. 
The intellect should always control the animal nature, not the other way around. That is what that symbolizes. That's one of the things it symbolizes. And most of us don't think that way. So that's what I wanted to say about that. What did you want to contribute? <laughs> I hope I Man, too I, I think the beginning question, uh, it it took you through pretty much everything, man. But uh, I think you're right. It was a good co- codified uh, question to get an answer. And he happened to find the white guy that would. So like you explained that pretty thoroughly. But for me, though, just to use your invisibility to get things done and move away from what brought your attention. Same thing you said. It's codification. We know that all of this show-offism, like you stated, brings us attention. And then we don't want to do nothing, end up giving everything over. Uh, you know, it'd be involuntarily. But now you got to go through all of these different channels to be able to get your stuff back. Plus, they know what you got. So it's unnecessary. Just do things slowly and don't show nobody what you got. That used to be a, a rule when I was coming up. But now, like you stated, social media and everything, we just tell everybody what we're going to do, almost like we're daring them to stop us. So Exactly. This matter of fact, I like that you said that. Pause there real quick. I remember I said on a, a, a TV program I did a few years ago um, after Dr. Ben passed away, and it was a show he did in dedication to him. And I said at the end of that program, I said that black people in the Western Hemisphere do not understand that we are intergenerational prisoners of war. And we do not teach or raise our children to understand that they're intergenerational prisoners of war. So as a result, we don't act like intergenerational prisoners of war. And as a result, they have an easy time getting rid of us, right? So the idea is this. A lot of us not like to talk like we're not prisoners of war until white people show us better than they can tell us that we are prisoners of war. And when they roll up on us, when they, when, they, when, they, when they pull up, as we say in the streets, when they jump out on you, we call them J-O-B, the jump out boys, when they jump out on you, you immediately give it up. All that tough talk is out the window. You got <laughs> so to answer realize, quick. Like, not only that, but you realize, look, there's a higher authority here, and that, that higher authority is not me. I might have said all that on a YouTube video. I might have talked crazy on some radio show. But now that they're here, and I'm looking at them AR-15s and them M-16s and them H&Ks and, and them, them red lights is flashing on my forehead, I know for a fact I'm caught now. Let me just give it up because there's no, there's no getting away with what they're thinking I'm going to attempt to do, and I'm not that stupid. But if you listened to them before they got jumped out on, you would have thought they was with the – the ish all day. And that's what I mean. It's a lack of, of, of tactical intelligence. It's a lack of generalship. That's why we always talk about books like the 48 Laws of Power and the Book of the Five Rings and um, uh, the Tao Te Ching, um, the, the, the uh, Master in the Art of War, the Art of War. Um, all of these different texts and many more deal with the psychology of generalship. And it teaches you how to function like a general. 
And when I say that, I mean in the sense of this. One of the greatest ways to win a war, which is written in the art of war, is to be able to win a war without having to fire a single shot. And that just means being able to tactically outthink your opponent, where you are able to mentally checkmate them to the point where they have no viable response that would even think to do something violent. That's what Haile Selassie did in that clip you played a couple shows back. He was able to <laughs> literally completely thwart the plans of his most adverse, his most um, powerful adversary when he was shooting t- to become the Negus of Ethiopia. And he was able to checkmate him completely in a way that he just had to give it up. And it was all done by thought, not one shot fired. The average black person is not able to think that way. And a lot of us who are in these, these uh, counter-racist circles and we listen to Nilly Fuller and all of that, a lot of people don't really understand what Nilly Fuller says. A lot of people misinterpret what Nilly Fuller has said, the important stuff, because he's not perfect either. And Scotty and I were having a conversation about that. But when you really start to understand the system, like seriously, there's just certain codes you just don't violate. And the people who claim to be on code and claim to be codified are the ones you will watch blatantly violate the codes that they claim to stand by all the time. And the people who follow them are silly enough not to be able to perceive that this person is full of crap. And it's sad because the only people that suffer are the recipients of the nonsense that the person is putting out. So we have to really be thinkers. We, we've, we have to start cultivating thinkers. And just to be a thinker in our community, a lot of our communities is is like a, a, a scarlet letter. People are calling you, you know, you, you, you acting white, you talking white. What the heck is talking white? What is talking white? <laughs> what does that mean? What do black people talk like? Do black people even understand that the southern twang that you hear white people speak with is actually a European version of an Africanized version of black people trying to speak English. That's where that Southern accent comes from. They adopted that from the black people that they brought from Africa who could not speak proper English because they spoke a different language. And then they were taught English by the worst, um, the the criminal element and the lowest echelon of European society. So even Southern words, the way that, that sentences are formulated, my son actually deals with speech and language pathology. And we had com- completely incredible conversations on what he calls African-American English lexicon that most people will call slang or, you know, or Ebonics. None of that is accurate. It's pretty much African people trying to speak English. And that's what Jen and I, we've talked about this. The further south you go in America, the closer to Africa you get in culture, behavior, attitudes, and, 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 um, and language. Um, and all kinds of different <laughs> different uh, uh, angles of perception. When you get into the historiography of it, you'll see it. That's why a lot of people, when they come from the islands and they move down south, they, they feel at home because the accents, the language is similar to what we experienced back in the islands. And when you study, um, and, and there's a clip we're going to get into that, when you study the history of America, you'll find that the majority of slaves that came here during the transatlantic slave trade, came from the islands. They didn't come directly from Africa. They were island hops here. You study South Carolina in particular. That's Barbados. The majority of the slaves in, in South Carolina were bought there from Barbados. And Bajan culture is inherent all over South Carolina. 
and there's books on that. But most people don't know. So they talk out their behinds and we ain't African and all of that. And, and it's all documented. They kept incredible records because we were property. And most people don't even know that. So that's that's what I mean. It's just it's just really taking the time to to seek truth in the deepest sense of the word, so that you're not you're not um in the dark about things. Or I wouldn't even use that term because that's that's not a good uh, phrase to use. But you're not um you don't lack knowledge in something that might be very important for you to to have knowledge in. So we have to take that time and 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 really put in the effort and not deal with confirmation bias and dealing with things that sound good to our ears and make us feel that dopamine rush. And we just say, oh, I believe it because it coincides with what I think things are rather than what things really are. And something as simple as starting a group like that would fall apart instantly just with the, I think, a, a lot of the average minds and the way that we function. It would take special people to be able to pull something like that off. A lot of people don't know the Black Panthers started the school lunch program. They started the WIC program, which stands for Women, Infant, and Children. Women, Infants, and Children. They got that all from the Panthers. Nobody talks about that. They had a, a, a medical program where they would be able to go and help people if they had emergencies. They had a, a, a conflict resolution where they would mitigate conflict between black people in the, in the community so they never had to rely on calling the police and p- potentially getting each other killed just by calling the colonizers to mit- mitigate issues between other, themselves and other black people. And like you said, you could do it in a way that's really clandestine. But churches have to be converted to serve the purposes that they originally served in this country for black people, which was a center of activity, a a meeting place, a a safe space for for black people to be able to go for assistance if they needed help with stuff. The church isn't that anymore. It's pretty much a money-making machine for for, um, uh, preacher pimps. They pretty much pimp their congregations now. So we would have to convert those those institutions back to being viable institutions to helping our people organize. And that would be safe because of how America is structured and what America, I mean, churches have never been safe. We know that. They kill us in church all the time. But church would be a safe space to organize in those ways in clandestine forms and fashions un, under less scrutiny than actually starting, let's say, an NGO or a nonprofit, and then, of course, the name would be everything. What are you going to name it? If you name it something that's going to be easily associated with militancy, then you're going to have problems. And it's not about being scared of anyone or anything. It's about being intelligent. That's, that's what that's what guerrilla warfare is. You don't run up on, your, on another soldier just out in the open. You find a way to sneak them. And that's terrifying for, for military personnel. To have that's what made Vietnam Vietnam such hell for American soldiers to have some little guy that's like you know four foot nine pop out the ground and cut your Achilles heel and then slit your throat when you hit the ground it's terrifying rather than having a, a whole battalion running at you and you just picking them off because they out in the open running at you screaming ah they coming at you crazy nah you want to sneak them. And that's what that would do. It would allow you to, to do things in a way that, that's, um, that's very, very much um, masked in, in layers of things that cannot be misperceived. And like he said, the biggest thing is uh, the propaganda war. You know, Scotty always says this, and he always quotes Malcolm X. Um, you know, media controls the minds of the masses, 
it can make the guilty look innocent and the innocent look guilty. So you have to own that before you even start an organization. How are you going to present this to the public so that it doesn't raise the eyebrows of, of the colonizers? Most people wouldn't think about that at all. They just think about flexing their muscle and, you know, you know, I got the biggest kahunas and I don't care what nobody say. This is what it's about. And like I said, until white people show you, the better than they can tell you that they're the ones that's really in charge. And when they show you, you kowtow immediately because you're trying to live too. Until we have a standing army, we got a bunch of black people who's willing to put it down and you're able to organize because that's the biggest thing. We can't even organize around us suffering from racism. We can't even organize around supporting reparations. We can't even organize around not putting out misinformation to our people. We can't even organize about simple things. And we trying to talk about major things like that. That's crazy to me. But we got work to do. And it can be done. It's just about the dedication of the people and whether or not they really about what they're saying they're about or if they're just um, trying to make money off the people. And there's a lot of those unscrupulous types amongst us nowadays, I think, more than ever in our history. They've always been around. But I think it's worse now than than ever because technology makes it easier to a lot of people. And then because of the mental illnesses that are created by things like Google and things like uh, social media and, and, and phones and apps, you have a bunch of mentally ill people who have all kinds of mental illness, narcissistic patterns, and um, sometimes sociopathy, psychopathy, um, Dunning-Kruger effect, which is deadly by itself because you don't even know that you're ignorant. So you you talking like an expert, and you actually are not as intelligent as anybody on the subject, but you swear you are. That is deadly to our people. Because those errors, we might think of them as small, but in a system of white supremacy, small errors are fatal. Because white people don't let nothing slide. Black people don't let anything slide with other black people. I will repeat that. Black people don't let anything slide when it comes to other black people. White people don't let anything slide, period. Big difference. So that's what I'll that's how I'll <laughs> I'll lay that down with that. <laughs> lay the mic down with that. I hope I made sense and I got clarity. I just think it's a, a extremely important conversation that needs to be had and just people really need to think around the best ways of doing the stuff and the path of least resistance so that if we do start to make these moves to organize in these capacities, we're able to do it in ways that are actually conducive to these organizations surviving and thriving and being able to be spread. And like he said, it's not just going to be black people. It's going to be about the area. you got black people living in areas that are very, very um, multi multicultural with all kinds of different, quote, unquote, racial groups. So you're going to have to be able to organize with other people. you got a bunch of black people who, you know, they'll, they'll say it openly. I don't care about nothing but my own. Well, we're going to be a lonely group of people because we always go into the rescue of everybody else and nobody comes to rescue us. So being able to work co- cooperatively with other people is going to be essential because you're really not going to be able to trust any black folks. And even Phyllis says it all the time. Know that you're a one-man army. You by yourself. <laughs> Ain't no black people going to have your back and stand up and talk to you. They're going to be running. When everything hits the fan, you're going to be stuck holding, holding, holding the situation down on your own, surrounded by the enemy. And then what you're going to do? Because all that crowd that was talking, there's no crowd once the police show up. 
and a lot yeah, of us don't understand that. They, yep, they, 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 matter of fact, they go from being the crowd that got your back to the crowd that's taking a picture, taking film, filming your death or your arrest. That's exactly what happens. Everybody pulls out their phone because the phone creates a barrier between them and the situation that they're witnessing. So that way, in their mind, psychologically, they don't have to act. And how you know that a person is depersonalization, de- de- derealization, how, do you, how you know a person is depersonalized when they're looking through a camera lens is like if you've ever seen a wildlife show and they'll be like underwater, let's say, filming sharks, and the cameraman will have a shark because the, elect- the electrical impulses that are put out by the camera usually will attract sharks because they have highly, a highly sensitive um, system called a lateral line that senses the smallest electrical charges ever. It can actually sense the electrical charge of your heartbeat. That's how sensitive that, the, that, that lateral line system is on, on sharks, right? So they're attracted due to the electricity being put out by the camera. And the cameraman is filming the shark. The shark is coming at them, trying to attack the camera because of the electrical impulses coming from the camera. And the cameraman doesn't notice it until the shark is already biting the, 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 the camera lens. That's because he's depersonalized. He doesn't even feel like he's in the situation anymore because he's a voyeur. He's filming it. So that just having that device between you and that, the object of what you're watching is a depersonalization tool. It separates you from the situation. So that's why people pull out cameras and they film people getting killed and don't do anything or film a black woman getting the brakes beat off of her by some white guy and, and nothing happens. It's a psychological thing. And most people don't even understand those simple psychological things and how they work. But go ahead, Jenna. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope no. I made sense. No, you made plenty of sense. It ain't nothing for me to go on with. Nothing at all. Uh, you kind of went over them Amazon devices when you was talking about everything, recording everything. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's us giving away information. We're, we're, we, we have brought into our homes the very things that take away our rights. The very things that take away our rights, we've brought, in, we've brought right into our house. It kind of even ties into the economic video when you were playing it, and he was talking about the Bitcoin and everybody getting into Bitcoin to avoid having to deal with the um, depreciating dollar that's really worth nothing. But then, you know, like Dave used to say, the same people that created the dollar bill created Bitcoin. The difference is it's easier to control you because all they got to do is turn off the electricity. There goes your Bitcoin. How are you going to spend mm-hmm. something you have, don't have access to? Or shut down the Internet. There goes all of your, your cryptocurrency. How are you going to access it if you can't access the Internet? But most people don't even think that way. They just think, oh, I'm going to just transition to this, you know, crypto, and it's going to be all right. Okay, as long as there's electricity around, that's fine. Once that disappears, then what are you going to do? Once they hack the grid and destroy that, how are you going to survive? But you know what? Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium never go out of style. Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium skyrocket when an economy collapses automatically. And even though people aren't told this, silver is more important than gold. And over time, it's going to become more and more evident how important silver is compared to gold because you can't have technology without silver. There's not a piece of technology you have, phones, airplane controls, military plane controls, all that stuff needs silver to operate. Without silver, it's done. You're done. That's the basics of, of any technology, electronic technology is going to be silver first. And then you can go into the coltan and 
all the other trace minerals and, and, um, and things like that. But basics are silver right off the rip. And most yeah, people don't have any day. concept of that. Yeah, shout out today. Yeah, most people don't even realize it. Yeah, I mean, like, that's real. And most black people don't know nothing about that. They give away their coins. They go to the coin star machine and get rid of it. And that, that's worth more than the dollar, paper dollars they got in their pocket because it's a precious metal or even semi-precious metal. They're taking nickels out of nickels. So old nickels are going to be worth a lot more than the new nickels that have trash metal in it. They took silver out of, like, um, half dollars and, and quarters and dimes and stuff in 1964. So if you have any of those, those types of coins prior to 1964, it's going to have some silver in it. Those coins of silver are going to be worth a ton because those are metals that can be melted down and used for other purposes if necessary. And it happens all the time. So, I mean, like, this is all stuff that most, most of us don't know. So we need to really just, just really, really become steeped in reality and steeped in what the truth is. And once you have that, then you can start actually making choices that are viable for you and your family. But most of us don't even have the basic information that we need to be able to do so properly. We just listen to what other people say and hope that what they're saying is true. Or if we trust that person, you know, we just go along with what they say. But I always tell people, don't believe anything I say. And when I write my essays, it's the same thing. I put a bibliography. Why? Because I want people to be able to see how I came to understand whatever topic it is the way that I do and what information foster my understanding of whatever the topic is to go and look at it, look at it from this angle and say that this is the actual way that things are supposed to be. Most people don't do that. They just talk. They don't give any, any background. They don't give you any direction to go to seek the truth for yourself. And that's where people are lost at because they're going to go right on Google and not realize that Google's just designed to cater to your person, person, personal likes and wants. So everything that you pull up in a search is going to basically be geared towards whatever mental illness you have. If it's confirmation bias, you're going to get more confirmation bias. It's not going to be the truth, especially not in the first 10 to 20 to 30 pages. It's all going to be stuff based on your personality traits that, that the computer has been able to ascertain after studying your search habits for however many years you've been using Google or any other search engine. So it's catered to you personally. It's not giving you the rule. And when you go back to before, Google use algorithms and things like that, you'll find that when you looked up a subject, everything about the subject would come up in the search. Now that's not the case, but most people don't know that. It's a simple, simple even if you're looking for a job. Most people don't know when you're looking for a job, it's a computer that gets you to talk to a human being. It's artificial intelligence. You got to have keywords in your, in your uh, resume and in your cover letter that match the keywords in the ad for the job. And if you don't have the proper keywords that coincide with the, the job posting, then the algorithm discards your, your application. So no human ever even sees it. No human sees it. Once you have those keywords, then the, then the AI will say, okay, this person might be a good candidate based on, on their submission. This is their resume. They have 15 keywords that match the you know, 15 keywords in the ad that we put out. So now you go to a human being, and then they go from, okay, well, the computer said this person might be a viable candidate. That, then that person looks through your resume, looks at your cover letter, you know, try to discern what your history is and how qualified you are for the job, and then they give you a call and say, we want a phone interview. Most people don't know that. 
they just think when they submit it, it's a human being that's automatically getting your stuff. That's not true. But the average black person don't know that. So they might be missing out on jobs simply because they're lacking knowledge about how to get a job, how it works now. It's not the same as 30 years ago. It's not as easy as just walking up in a job. Most places don't want you walking up in there in person. They want you to go online and apply online. 90% plus of job applications is going to take place online. So how many black people actually know that there's algorithms that actually vet you before any human being even touches anything you submit for a job? A lot of us don't know that. So we end up losing out. We suffer for lack of knowledge, as they say in the that, that uh, verse in the Bible. And that's true. And that's basic stuff. So imagine the, the big stuff that we miss. The world is stacked against us. The only reprieve we have with that when it comes to job hunting is a lot of white people are naming their children black names now. So if you see Lakeisha, Lakeisha Thornton, on the application, that might not be a sister. It might be a, a white woman. If you see LaShonda Wilkins, that might be a white woman. Because there's more and more white people are naming their children black people's names. I personally have had at least three times in my life where I've dealt with, with uh, white clients who like my name so much that they wanted to name their children my name. And I'm like, this is interesting. You want to name your child literally a name that's associated with black people and potentially associated with Muslims? Okay. If that's what you want to do, you're going to make it hard for your little white baby, though. (laughs) That's real. But that's happened to me at least three times already in my life where I've had white women like I'm pregnant and I love your name. How do you spell it? What does it mean? So that way when, you know, my child's old enough, I can explain to them what it means. I've had that happen. I've talked to a couple of white women with straight up black names and I was shocked because I'm hearing the person talk to me. And when they say in the name, I'm like, man, things have changed. It's not Elizabeth and Margaret, none of that no more. <laughs> They're going straight for, you know, like I said, Lakeisha's and, um, uh, you know, um, Shaniqua. There's, a, there's white folks with those names out there. Don't get it twisted. So, yeah, that's the, that's the one thing that's leveling the playing field is that they're going to have to, kind of really, really wait till the interview to see if the person is white or not. <laughs> because, you know, those names now, they, they, it's, and that's thanks to hip-hop. We made, we made those things attractive to white folks, so they're adopting those things now. That's a slow way of people stealing your identity, just to put that out there for folks. It starts with little things like that. So, <laughs> uh, I hope I made sense. And I hope some people may have learned something, especially if you are looking for work and stuff, and you may not have known that, hopefully it helps. But just know that you might need to doctor your resume for every job. When you see that job posting and you see, you know, those keywords for different skills and different um, different uh, use of different platforms, uh, client relationship management platforms, you have to put that in your resume. Put that in your cover letter. And that will allow you to pass the computer uh, checkpoint to get to a living human being seeing what you're submitting for that job. And then as long as the resume is done in a great way that's attractive to the eye of the human being that's reading it, you'll get that call and say, hey, we'd like to have a phone interview. And that's the first step. 
So, yeah, hopefully this stuff helps folks and they, they'll be able to be a little bit better informed with certain things that they might be trying to accomplish because it's hard out here. And we're at a complete disadvantage in so many ways. It's, it's, it's nauseating. So I just wanted to toss that around. But um, what was the next thing you wanted to chop up? No, actually, right now, I'm just trying not to get in your way. Uh, it's all good. So I'm a, this is what I want you to hit on, though. Uh, sure. Because it seems like you're answering a lot of questions. So sure. just to continue on that path, uh, the keystone oh, habit. I want, yeah. I want you to discuss the keystone habit as far as from a, a colonizer's point of view, how we done took that on. Uh, and and just to give a, a list of books, you done named a few of them already, but we were talking about rebuilding the culture uh, and, and those list of books that could be used to uh, give a, a more well-rounded idea as far as the racism that we have to deal with. Okay, now Keystone Habits, right? Like the the guy said, Keystone Habits are, are like maybe one habit that has uh, spinoff effects that affect other areas of a person's life without them even being consciously aware that it's affecting those areas of their lives in a positive way or in a negative way, right? So when you look at our colonizer, their Keystone Habit is racism, white supremacy. Through racism, white supremacy, they're able to dominate in all 11 areas of people activity. I'll name them, economics, education, entertainment, healthcare, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, war, and technology. So through racism, they dominate all of those areas and those are all the areas that human beings can be active in. And the racism is the seed that informs the treatment of non-white people in the color hierarchy in every area of people activity, no, ma no matter where you go on this planet. So the keystone habit is a mental illness called racism, white supremacy. Its spinoff effect is world domination. Black people's negative keystone habit is self-hatred. Where did they get that from? They're colonizers, but it, destroys their ability to be effective in liberating themselves in all 11 areas of people activity. Because everything that the colonizer tells them that they shouldn't do, they don't do it. And everything that the white, that the colonizer tells them that they should do, they do it. No matter how detrimental it is to themselves. Right? So we have negative keystone habits that we have been unable to surmount for 500 years. And they have keystone habits that are positive to them dominating all of us. And we're so stuck in our bag and our own personal ideology and hating the person we see in the mirror that we can't get past what we see in the mirror to say, you know what? We need to try something a little bit different. And that would tie into discussion i was watching this video um thanks to brother hayes he had put it up and i saw it uh a couple other places but it was um tone tone talks he was talking about uh that uh 
ADOS is not aligned with Donald Trump. And he called it um, ADOS not aligned with Donald Trump explained. So he goes into what his premise is, which was the same premise as Yvette Carnell, that his idea is that we don't vote for the Democrats if uh, they don't have a platform that, that will handle reparations. Don't vote for them. But what he's not explaining is there's no, it's a two-party system. Yeah, you have the Libertarians. Yeah, you have the Green Party. But none of them ever win. So they're completely insignificant in the process of politics. American politics is a two-party system, Democrats or Republicans, right? We know that the Republicans pretty much are like no way to reparations. We know that Democrats are pretty much the same, but they talk differently. So they sound like they might be down with it, but we know that from their actions, they're not really making any true headway towards fixing the problem. So when Yvette Carnell said, this is what she said now, she said to downvote, which means you vote Democrat down the entire line for whatever uh, political position is on the ballot. But she said, you don't vote for the president at all. So she's telling you don't vote for the president, then that means the Republicans are going to vote Donald Trump back in office. So she's pretty much saying give away the presidency to Donald Trump and then vote Democrat for everything else. Donald Trump said reparation sounds like a good idea, but most likely it will never happen. So if Tone talks, which is what he said in the video, he's talking about not voting for the Democrats because they're not coming with a viable plan then his plan is the same as hers. And again, we've talked about the fact that she deals with PIFA, which is a white supremacist organization that is hell-bent on getting Donald Trump back in office. She is a board member of this group. And then on top of that, um, they also have a a heavy anti-immigrant platform, and specifically anti-black immigrants. So this is where the rift between other diaspora Africans and Africans from the continent with American Africans is coming from. And I'm like, their answer is not an answer. The real answer is what we talked about before. And I've said this before, black people don't fully understand politics. You have to own the candidates. You have to lobby and get in, get them in your back pocket. You have to own them. You have to be their pimp and they have to be your whore. That is how white people have done it for 500 years. So what you need to do is get a bunch of rich black people together to lobby and put significant amount of money in the coffers of a specific candidate who they have groomed that, look, we are paying you to do this job. This job is to put these these different laws and different things in place that are able to help black people specifically. And we all know that when black people get help, everybody gets help. That's been the historical reality. That is how the LGBTQ P community has gotten as far as they've gotten in 40 years because black people made it easier for them to make headway like we've done for everybody else in this country. But he's not telling you that. He's telling you pretty much give it all to Trump. Don't vote for the Democrats. Then then who's going to get voted in? I remember I saw these these white ladies with with a T-shirt on that, um, that, that said something like, if you don't vote, we will. (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly what it is If you're not voting Then you're pretty much giving it all away But if you own the politician You can force them to do what you want them to do And when I say own them I don't just mean solely putting money in their pockets I mean you hire a private investigator Have them follow that person around 
If they sneaking around in their wife, you have that private investigator take those photographs of them going into the hotel with the woman. If you can get them to set up some rig, some sort of um, sound equipment so you can hear what's going on in the room, you get that too. And you say, not only did we put the money in your pocket, but if you want to get funny style with this whole thing, we got this. And we don't ruin your life. Now you really got to do what the heck we say. That's what I'm talking about. Because that's what white people do all the time. But black people still ain't learn that too well. You had different pockets of black people who, who understood that reality. But it wasn't something that was uh, something that we all collectively understand to do. Jenna's grandmother was one of those people who knew how to own politicians. When you go back to Black Wall Street, the different ones in, in North Carolina and Durham, when you go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, when you go to Rosewood, those places that were successful, where you had successful black business people and black politicians and they own their own stuff, they had politicians in their pockets. What they didn't have was an army to protect what they got. So when white people got jealous and said, we want to take this from the niggas, it was pretty much a free-for-all. And you had some people trying to defend themselves, but there wasn't enough black people who had weapons and who had the wherewithal to actually defend the community. So it got destroyed. Well, they, well, they, they, they protect the, excuse me, just to interject real quick. They protect sure. the community from the surrounding uh, terrorists. It was the government coming in that they couldn't withstand. I just want to That's make true. that correct. That's very true. So, so yeah. So the whole idea is that the approach, and, and I think that Tone and um, Yvette are afraid to say that publicly, because then they might be under scrutiny for, you know, um, for Martin Luther King-esque or Malcolm X-esque sort of uh, exit from this planet. Because then you get yeah, away to the uh, Oh, sure, sure. Who's this? What's up, brother? Roz, this has... Peace, peace, my brother. What's good? How you doing? Nah, I'm doing all right. Just got back from getting my girl and everything. Um, right. I, I, I had stepped off when uh, you had the, the plan of the man saying how we should formulate but not be yes. militant. And mm-hmm. Not openly stepped, militant, yeah. Openly militant, okay. I understand that, and he does have a point. Everything does need to be covert these days and before or it let's let's go back to the 70s okay we had the 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 black panthers that did start wic now we had a a a a lost group in there that's not really talked about it's called the bla Mm -hmm. the yep the black liberation army now you know i'm i'm just thinking you know I got a lot of people that went to, you know, Panama and everything like that. The military would not take me for some stupid reason because I'm my mother's only son. They gave me a voucher for her to sign. That's the only way yeah. they would take me. And uh, I gave my my mother this voucher and I never saw it again. So my grandfather, he was still alive at the time. He he fought in Korea. He said, don't, don't worry about it. Just go on to school and you know, everything will be all right. But I watched all my friends go to Panama, Desert Storm, and everything like that. And they come back. Some came back all right, but a lot of them didn't come back all right. But, you know, those that I was tight with taught me a lot of things that not your average black man knows. Yes, sir. So, as he was saying, we should, you know, form a non-militant group, you know, with 
I'm not too, you know, comfortable teaching somebody how to make a shape charge or make the poor man's claymore or how to, you know, how to teach somebody that doesn't know how to pull up their pants, how to strip down a Kalashnikov, how to make a Kalashnikov fire faster or how to make a Kalashnikov sing automatically just by the simple cuts of a Dremel. I'm not comfortable with that. So this is why my social circle is so small. It's mm-hmm. practically a doggone dot. Uh, I talked about um, home fortification. I wanted to uh, I wanted yeah. to bring that up because, as you know, just recently Israel killed one of the top hobby dobbies. Uh, yeah. Apparently, he wasn't hidden in his basement this time, and they they got him. Bad yeah, I've been watching yeah. uh, Kazam rockets rain down on Israel all day long. Fantastic, stupid technology. I finally found me the blueprints of this rocket. Not that I'm going to build one. I just want it. But um, get ready, people. But I wanted to talk to you guys about home fortification. Because back in 2003, my power was out. In the big blackout from August 20, I mean, from August 14th to August 28th. Now, I was so lucky just to have a 9,000 watt portable generator that I was able to keep the house cool. And this was in August. I don't think I could have pulled this off if it was wintertime, which is why we have a better generator, which I'll get into in a minute. Okay. But, uh, we saw a lot of crime here, and I'm in the suburbs now. There was looting all over the place, especially in Detroit. And then they showed that if you were able to get your TV on, you, you would see that. People's generators that weren't bolt down, bolted down came up missing, mm-hmm. which, you know, I had enough gas. But when that gas ran out, I had an Army friend that um, taught me how to convert firewood vapor into fuel and they're still doing they're they're still doing that they you can find videos of it so when our gas ran out because i only had enough gas to to run for maybe uh seven days and then i i couldn't get to a gas pump because all the gas pumps were out so i got the house going with gas i mean uh wood vapor that that was doable but that's not what's gonna go down now which now we have now is a home generator. I suggest everybody, your average home, will take a 10-kilowatt generator. This will do your heater, your air conditioner, your stove, your freezer, and any essentials. No problem. But I would go, if you, if you just want to be sure, go to a 15-kilowatt. Now, you got to pay to play. Your cheap one that everybody probably knows is Generac. That's like your bottom basement generator. But, you know, and how you said about Wi-Fi, these <laughs> generators, when, when everything goes out, how can we get into the, the, uh, the Internet? Well, my generator has a Wi-Fi generator. So I have my own Internet. I can produce my own Internet. And anybody Beautiful. can do this. But your, your average black person does not know this. Now. I suggest everybody to start burying silver. And I got the perfect containers at my paraphernalia store. You can find me on eBay. I got the containers that they're airtight, watertight. 
You can put as yeah. much silver in them as you want. Um, Kevlar netting. I suggest everybody get Kevlar netting. Now, Kevlar netting is good for putting over your windows. This will stop any projectiles, tear gas or bricks or whatnot. It doesn't burn. And you have to put it around your windows tauntly to keep that out. So if they throw a canister in there, it's just going to bounce back out. Um, first aid kit. Everybody must have a top-notch first aid kit. And I suggest potassium iodine. If you don't know what yes. that does, look it up. MREs, meals ready to eat. And I'm saying all this because in 1997, the, the, the report came out in Russia that 80 lost or stolen ADMs, which means atomic demolition munitions, came up missing. And just yesterday, I found one on the, block, on the dark net. Now, I can't get one. We can never get one, not for the money. And just, just let's just say I was a multimillionaire and I wanted one. I'm pretty sure if I didn't go about different channels, this device will come to my house along with the FBI and everybody else. Yes, so sir. I have found one of the 80 lost atomic devices. This is nothing to sneeze at people. That's all I want to say. Mm. Definitely appreciate your input. I think that you gave people a lot to think about. Um, I would just add a couple of things. There's um, For those who are able to, there are plants you can plant on, on your property, especially if you have like uh, windows that might be low where people might be able to climb into your house. You can get plants known as uh, yuccas, yucca trees, and they have uh, leaves that are extremely sharp. Almost uh, some of them are like, like, like knife blades, and you can plant them. They're gorgeous plants, and they flower every, every spring and things like that. And, but they're, um, if you plant them strategically around the windows in your house, somebody would not be able to get through those plants to get to your house because they will be in dire straits with the, uh, because they're, they're great security plants in that regard because it's like having a spike ball outside your windows. So if you plant them you know, in, in strategic areas, you can, you know, block block people from hiding out, like if, you know, hiding out around your windows or hiding out on your property, things like that. Um, they call yucca plants. I actually had some, and um, I planted them up here. But the year that I planted them, it was the wettest year, wet, wettest winter in New Jersey history. So they're actually very um, hardy in cold environments, but they they can be drowned by wet environments. And that happened to be the wettest year in winter in Jersey state history. So as a result, those plants drowned and I lost them. Um, but if you live in, in areas that aren't as wet, and even if they're colder areas, you can plant those yucca trees and they'll grow into nice um, formidable uh, barriers that you can use. Um, if you have a first aid kit, you want to keep cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper will stop bleeding instantly. It also kills germs and it facilitates the um, the scabbing process. It also is awesome for heart attacks. If a person um, is having a heart attack, and there's uh, documented uh, stories of this, where if you give a person um, cayenne pepper tea, usually like a tablespoon and some really hot water, you could probably add, um, in some cases, some people will add apple cider vinegar to it. Um, 
it'll bring them back out of the heart attack. And in, in a, a lot of cases, it's so it can be so successful at reversing a heart attack that the damage that are, that is left on the um, the heart muscle that are telltale signs that a person had a heart attack. In some of those cases, the damage isn't even done. So it looks like the person didn't have one, even though they did. So that's just something you want to keep keep around in case you have someone with heart issues. Um, or if you do have a wound and you want to, and also when you, if you put cayenne pepper in like a wound, um, it doesn't trigger like hot, so it's not going to burn the wound. I've used it before. Um, I cut my finger one time and I was bleeding profusely and I just actually poured it in the wound. And pretty much I probably would have got a couple of stitches. I didn't need the stitches once I put the cayenne pepper in there. Um, if you grow tobacco plants, tobacco is also known, very well known for that on the African continent, as well as um, over here, uh, the Native Americans as well. Um, if you cut yourself, you can put the tobacco juice in the cut and it will completely disinfect and facilitate the healing process. And what the ancestors used to do is not just put the juice in the wound, but they would wrap it in tobacco, in the tobacco leaf. And usually within within a week's time or less, depending on how severe the, um, the wound is, the wound will be completely healed without needing stitches or anything like that. So these are all little tricks. Also, you, you might have, if you look it up, you, there's a plant called wild lettuce, and it grows all across the country. It originates in China, but they brought it over here. And it's pretty much, some, some people call it wild opium because it has the same pain-killing properties as opium, but it is not an opiate, and it does not get you high. But it's called wild lettuce. And it can help also help you if, if you have problems sleeping and stuff like that, or if you need to relax, it's also good to relax. But, but excuse me, it's called wild lettuce. It grows in a lot of people's yards all the time. I see it in my yard as well. Um, you can get it in tea bag form on Amazon. You can get it in uh, extract form on Amazon, or you can make your own by just taking the plant out. And it, it, you, you can look it up online. They have different recipes on how to extract it. It tastes very, very bitter. So if you are taking it from the plant directly, it tastes very, very bitter, but it's extremely effective as far as being a painkiller, exceptionally effective. So um, colloidal silver will be indispensable because it will allow you to completely clean wounds and keep them infection-free. It is something you can also add to food. So if you have some food, let's say your electricity goes out and it takes a couple of days, let's say a few days for the for the electricity to come back on. You can actually um, uh, spray colloidal silver on your food and it'll help keep any bacteria from growing on the food. So even though you don't have uh, an, a mechanism to refrigerate it, there will be no mechanism for germs to grow or for um, fungus or algae to grow on the food until you're able to get the electricity on. If you have like uh, orange juice or apple juice or any other sort of juices or even fresh juice that you make, you can take a silver coin or a silver, um, if you have silver cookware, put it in your juice. It'll prevent juice from spoiling. So you'll be able to, and they used to do that back in like the 18, 1900s. That's one of the ways they would preserve milk is by putting a silver coin, a, a, a you know, an actual silver coin in the bottom of the milk jug, and that would keep the milk from spoiling. So these are just little tricks to the trade that I wanted to toss out for folks as far as if you end up in an emergency situation and you need to do those sorts of things, it's good. Another thing you can do, too, is you can also get a um, – they have them solar-powered, and they have a company called Anchor, A-N-K-E-R. They also make them, too, but it's a pretty much a portable cell phone charger. 
and you can charge multiple phones on them. You can ca- I carry mine every day when I travel to work. I have a solar power one, and then I have one that you plug in and you charge it, and it keeps the charge for an extremely long time. So if I'm traveling from work to home from work or from work to home or anywhere else, and I don't have access to an outlet, I can just plug my charger in, plug it in, plug it into my charger and charge my phone or charge multiple phones with the solar power one. You just put it in the sun; it'll recharge itself. And then you have a full full battery to keep going. So that's another thing you want to keep around and make sure you have it with you um, at all times. Um, I would say for protection purposes, you want to get a tactical pen. It's a simple thing, but it's something that is extremely deadly if you know how to use it. There's a great book called Five Secrets That Can Save Your Life by um, James, I believe it's James Hansen. I know his last name is Hansen. He's a former CIA agent. Um, he's the person I actually learned about tactical pens from. Um, they have tutorials on online about them, and pretty much FBI, CIA agents, they will carry tactical pens in places where they're not allowed to carry a firearm because they're just as deadly. And he actually gives scenarios where uh, they have been effective for him as a CIA agent. Um, a tactical pen you can take anywhere. I've taken mine to the court. I've taken mine um, on planes because it's a pen. I, I was even harassed and stopped by a police officer one day um, that pretty much was trying to set me up to pretty much kill me. And um, I had a tactical pen clipped on my pants and he, he approached me and claimed that he thought it was a knife. <laughs> when I showed him it was a pen, he walked away. And I'm like, if only you knew I could have shattered your skull and left you on the train tracks for a train to hit you if I really wanted to. But it was a good thing because I didn't go to jail. It wasn't a knife. <laughs> so I just want to let people know about that. So a tactical pen, I think, would be essential, um, something you want to, you know, definitely have with you, have your relatives, even females. You could you could be a small-frame female, and if you know how to effectively use a tactical pen, you can take down a 200-pound man easily, easily. And it's also something you can use in an emergency. So if you're trapped, let's say, in a burning building or you're trapped in a building and you need to escape, you can shatter glass with it. So it's, it's also, you know, it could be used as a glass breaker as well. But um, if you know how to use it, you can shatter bone with every well-placed hit. Um, and in some cases, you can even penetrate the flesh if you hit them in the right spot. Um, so it's, it absolutely can be just as deadly as a firearm. <laughs> i just put it to you like that. So um, these are just little things I wanted to add to what uh, Brother Hayes had put out there, because I think uh, what he's talking about is very, very important. And with the things that um, are coming down, as far as what the uh, economy is doing, it's going to create a lot of savage people, a lot of people who don't have scruples because um, as, as with any other uh, uh, animal, because human beings are part of the animal kingdom too, when you're put under high stress, you become, uh, you utilize more base instinct than actual rational thought. And that allows people to abandon morals and be able to do anything to anyone in order to get what they perceive that they need to satisfy themselves. So that's, those things are going to become a complete reality um, as the society continues to deteriorate and collapse. So these are just little things you might want to think about and be able to take care of yourself and your family if, ever, if you ever need to. Um, and those are some of the things that can actually help. Um, there's a bunch of essential oils you can use. Um, Fourth these oil is a great disinfectant, um, extremely great germ killer for um, airborne diseases. Um, also, you can put, put, use those oils in a cold water diffuser. You can also cold water diffuse colloidal silver. 
and that'll kill germs in the air as well and purify the air in your household. Um, and it also can function as a nebulizer. You just have to get right up on the spout where the vapor's coming out and inhale it that way. But it can function in a similar way to a nebulizer. Uh, you can thwart bronchitis and um, all kinds of lung infections just by using those essential oils in the diffuser and, and smelling it in its concentrated form. Those those nanoparticle colloidal or colloidal I mean, nanoparticle essential oils will get into your lungs and kill germs that way as well. Um, you can use them to deal with different emotions, to calm yourself down. If you're out or you have anxiety, there's different um, oils for that, like vetiver. Um, lavender is awesome for that. If you need to stay alert, the citrus oils are good for that. Peppermint's good for that. Um, uh, man, there's just so many different oils that you can use. It's ridiculous. So, <laughs> but these are just little things I wanted to toss out there so people have some, some basic insight into some things they might be able to do. Another thing you want to do, too, is if you can, get your hands on heirloom seeds. Um, heirloom seeds will allow you to plant food, and also those, those plants will produce seeds, so that way you can actually harvest those seeds and have pretty much food in perpetuity. Um, so that's something you definitely want to do. Um, if you can get your hands on hemp, hemp is awesome. There's a lot of different things you can do with that. And the great thing about it is you can get a lot of the benefits without any sort of uh, – uh, without getting high. So, in other words, you can actually deal with inflammation. It helps with Alzheimer's. It helps with autism. It helps a lot of people with autism. It helps with people with behavioral issues because it's an antipsychotic. Um, it can also repair damage to the brain after uh, a stroke or uh, things of that nature. It'll help repair your nervous system, and it's actually neuroprotective. Um, there's just so many benefits to to uh, CBD itself that is quite mind blowing. Matter of fact, let me see if I could pull up this little yeah this article that kind of not article but it's like a a fact sheet that kind of deals with some of the benefits. Here we go. I'm going to read this here. Okay, CBD or cannabidiol is one group of unique chemical co compounds that are found not only in cannabis or hemp. Not only in the cannabis or hemp plant, CBD does not get you high. In fact, when taken with THC, CBD can actually reduce how high you can get. So actually, basically, they both uh, affect the same neuroreceptors in the brain and in the body. So if you partake of CBD first, the CBD will lock with those receptors and knock the THC out. That's why it reduces your ability to get high if you, if you partake of it first. If you take the THC first, then, of course, it's going to fuse with those receptors first, which you'll get the high, and then the CBD can actually help dampen that so you don't get, quote, unquote, too high. You know, you smoke too much, but it says here, or partake of too much. So it says, when CBD is activated, smoked, vaped, or ingested, it turns on specific receptors that influence body functions, such as appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and anxiety. Some of the effects of CBD include an anti-emetic, which means it reduces nausea and vomiting, anticonvulsant, which means it suppresses seizures, um, including grand mal seizures as well, which is the deadliest kind. It's an anti-inflammatory. It mitigates inflammatory disorders like Alzheimer's, uh, lupus, all of these, uh, which is an autoimmune disease. So if you use CBD and um, colloidal silver, that can be something that can really help people with lupus and MS and other different autoimmune diseases. It's also anti-tumoral, which means it fights tumors and cancer cells. 
It's an anxiolytic, which means it combats anxiety and depression. It's an antioxidant, which means it tempers neurodegenerative disorders. It's an antipsychotic, which means that it mediates psychotic disorders. CBD currently has a potential to fight diseases such as schizophrenia, psychosis, epileptic disorders, anxiety, depression, cancer, osteoporosis, because it also helps you to keep that um, cal- the calcium and vitamin D in your system too. Loss of appetite, nausea, lupus, obsessive compulsive disorder, Parkinson's disease, chronic and acute pain, diabetes, neurodegenerative order- disorders like Alzheimer's and et cetera. So I just wanted to just put that out there as far as the CBD because it's pretty much legal just about everywhere in the country. But like we played in a clip a few weeks ago, um, some places actually test for both CBD and THC. So as a result, you might fail a drug test in those states where it's it's not legal and stuff like that. So I do want to put that disclaimer out there. Unless you take products that have zero THC, because you have some with 0.3% THC that are actually CBD products, and then you have some that are completely THC-free. So if you're going to use CBD, you want to take the ones that are completely THC-free. But again, like I said, some states do test for both CBD and THC. A lot of states tend to only test for THC. So if that's the case, then you won't have to worry about it as long as you you know, use a CBD product that has 0% THC. So I just wanted to toss that out there. Was there anything you wanted to add, uh, Jenna, to that? My fault. I had myself on mute. No, I think you did a great job tonight. Like I said, I just wanted to get out your way. It seemed like you had a lot of questions that you had to answer. So I just wanted to file back and let you uh, address those. But uh, I would like for you to uh, give out that list of those list of books as a uh, oh, starting sure. point. Oh, sure. As far as um trying to learn different ways of uh, potentially reorganizing ourselves as a people um, and really coming to a consensus around the things that we could do to collectively work together towards solving problems. Like I've always said, a lot of the things as far as organization, even politically and things like that, the answers lie in in our ancestors. (laughs) Like they already did the work for us. We just not paying attention. Like I saw, um, uh, a meme somebody posted today of Marcus Garvey was a picture of him, and he said, I already showed you what to do, but you're still begging, begging your enemy. We already got the answers. People have already come up with the answers. We just are ignoring the answers. When it comes to political organization, um, I think a great book would be The Destruction of Black Civilization. Reason why is because it gives the history of how we, how we lost everything, um, and it also gives information on how we self-organized prior to colonization. So the different methods of governance that African people had. And one thing he made crystal clear was that the highest form of governance that was found on the African continent was self-governance. And self-governance just meant that there was no king or queen, no single ruler that ruled over the people. Excuse me, everybody collectively came together as united independent people and each played their role in the society that was essential to keeping the society functional. So it's almost like being in a bee colony or an ant colony where you have people with specialized skills and those people with those specialized skills perform those skills at maximum output in order to sustain the society without having to go through a king or a queen or any sort of particular leader. Um, We also had, of course, kingships and queenships and um, cooperative societies where you had the elders 
that were that were the highest governing body. Um, you had the the women that was the the basic decision makers if there was a disagreement because of course women tend to be um, more familial oriented and 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 communal centric in their approach so they'll tend to make decisions that are best for groups of people rather than individuals and of course if the women couldn't decide they would go to the to the elders and then um, even above the elders they would go to the ancestors and this pretty much divine the answers that they needed to get from the ancestral realm. So when you get into understanding traditional African societies and the fact that the ancestors were considered an integral part of the society, see, we can't imagine that in today's day and time. We think that the ancestors are just dead, and there's no such thing as a dead ancestor. If energy can't be created or destroyed, merely transformed, then your ancestors are still here. You just can't see them in the physical. And our ancestors had ways of actually directly communicating with those ancestors. And um, this is well documented. And pretty much in those situations where everything was indecisive, then the ancestors would be like that final say, did the elders or the ancestors? <laughs> and whatever they said was the final answer and you could not go against that. So I mean, the, 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 so I think that destruction of black civilization, great text to, to go to deal with. Another one would be um, African Philosophy by Theophile Benga. It's a very thick book, but it goes into um, the organization of societies uh, philosophically and politically um, based on the Nile Valley perspective, uh, dealing with the times of the pharaohs, about a 5,000-year period is what he covers in the text. Um, I think that's really good. I think Sheik Antijopes, uh, Pre-Colonial Black Africa, which deals with the pre-colonial political structure in Africa with different, um, different groups across the continent and pretty much the, the, the great ways we governed ourselves um, prior to contact with the colonizer. Another good one is um, The Rebirth of African Civilization, and that's by uh, Chancellor Williams. Um, that's another great book which kind of deals with uh, taking the best of what our ancestors utilized to govern themselves and kind of updating it to facilitate governing ourselves today. I think that's also a great text to um, have under your belt. I think... Um, I think uh, another good book would be uh, The FBI War and Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders, and that one is by John Patash because it kind of gives insight into the different ways that the colonizers infiltrated our groups and set up important people, uh, important black people to be killed um, or pretty much had their character destroyed um, so that way we can avoid those pitfalls. Um, I think that's a great text to actually read in order to try and avoid those pitfalls. Um, trying to just go through some of these other texts on my shelf that would be helpful. Oh, yeah. Let me go over here. There's a, another good one is, uh, where is it at? Acquisition and the Proper Use of Power by H. Khalif Khalifa. Phenomenal book on pretty much just what the title says, how to acquire power and how to properly use it would be beneficial to us collectively as a people. Um, that's another great book that you definitely want to um, have in your library so that you can pretty much discern those things. Um, another great book by Robert Greene, who is the writer of The um, 48 Laws of Power, is uh, The uh, 33 Strategies of War. And he has another text called Mastery. Those are also great books to get into as well um, in regards to that. I think, uh, what's the other book? 
2,000 Seasons by Aikwe Arma. I think it deals a lot with psychology and how the white mind thinks. Gives great insight into that and will help us kind of uh, exorcise those or, or exorcise the white parts of our psyche or, as uh, Gus would say, uh, deactivate the white chip that's in our brain that keeps us doing detrimental things to ourselves. I think that that's a great book to also have in your repertoire. Um, hmm, what other ones? I'm trying to really, really dig out some titles here that, that make good sense for folks to actually have a handle on if you're trying to. Well, uh, we ain't, we ain't got to go through every single last one of them tonight. Oh, not you know, every it's, one. It's, yeah, it's, it's just getting a, late. And, uh, yeah, let's go on and hit us off with the prayer. Because you have, like I said, you answered quite a few questions that I didn't even know about. But I think they needed to be heard. So. Thank you for that, Brother Rise. And, yeah, you hit us off with the prayer. We can get on out of here for the night. No problem. Um, thanks to Brother Hayes for chiming in. Um, I love the information that you brought to the table in order to help us really think about things that should be important to us in regards to, to you know, the ways that we pretty much set, up, set ourselves up for um, the optimal ability to take care of ourselves and possibly survive in uh, scenarios that might be adverse to us. So I think that that's something that we should all think about. And we'll be talking about that over time. It's not yeah, something that we haven't that talked about before. Yeah, that preparedness. I can't wait to hear some more what, he, uh, what he's learned, if he's willing to share with us about that preparedness, because we, we done done several shows on that. We're going to have to get back into that as well. Absolutely. I would say for folks, too, Mylar blankets, they look like aluminum foil, but they actually hold about 90% of heat. So if you ever, let's say, stranded in a vehicle and it's freezing outside, you can actually wrap up in that Mylar blanket and you will not freeze to death. Um, you could also get something called the UCO uh, Candelaria, um, which is pretty much, it's a lantern that, that burns about three candles and it produces about 5,000 BTUs of heat. So if you're trapped in a, let's say, you know, you're frozen, your, your car's stuck somewhere and you're in an icy environment, you can actually light those candles and it'll keep you warm in the vehicle. Um, I know, I know they have candles that burn up to nine hours. So I would just say, get a, get a, a box of those candles, keep them in your vehicle. So if you do get trapped in a situation like that, you have light and you also have heat. Um, you know, you just make sure your windows are closed and whatnot and you can, you know, light those candles and you'll be able to stay warm with your family. You keep those, the Mylar blankets with you, keep a, a bunch of them in your vehicle. So if you are stranded and it's cold, you can use them. Um, you can also use them to signal people for assistance because they're silver. So, you know, you can use them in the daytime to try and get uh, the attention to say if there's helicopters flying over, things like that. Also, you can use them to avoid uh, infrared detection. <laughs> so just to let you know, if, you know, somebody's trying to hunt you down using infrared and you're using that Mylar blanket, they won't be able to see your heat signature as well. Um, another good trick, too, is to remember that if you're out in, in, let's say, the nature and you're being hunted at nighttime by, and they're using infrared, if you can get to pine trees, pine trees also thwart uh, infrared signals. So if they're trying to find you from above and you get underneath a, a nice sizable pine tree, they won't be able to see you at all. So those are just little tricks to the trade I wanted to drop on folks just so they had that too. But Mylar blankets would be quite essential, I would say, a fire starter kit, you want to definitely keep those. They can be very, very small. You keep them on your person, or you can keep them in a bag or keep them in your car, put them in your bug-out bag, 
that'll also be quite helpful um, as well. So I just want to toss that out there. But thanks to Brother Hayes for bringing the preparedness aspect. I thought that that was quite brilliant. Um, thanks to the other calls and listeners. Uh, we greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Hopefully we were able to provide some information that would be of constructive value to folks and just get folks to think it's it's not really about um, not supporting what is right and exact because, you know, reparations means to repair the damage that was done to a people by another group of people. It's just about if you're going to do it, you want to do it right because if you understand the system that we live in, every time black people learn the rules of the game, they change the rules. So if we keep doing this, they're going to just keep finding new, more ingenious ways of thwarting our ability to access um, reparations for those black Americans whose ancestors have suffered through the worst atrocity in human history. So the idea is like, hey, if we're going to put out the idea, let's put out the idea for what's really going to be effective. And again, something like even talking about owning politicians, that's not something you talk about publicly. It's something you talk about privately. So, you know, I just wanted people to think about those things because the answers that we're being given is not a real answer. I understand the ideology and the thought process behind it as far as like, hey, we've been voting Democrat for like 60 years and y'all haven't done anything. So I get that. But the idea is that not voting Republican is just pretty much, I mean, not voting at all is giving, giving it away to the Republicans and downvoting Democrat is still not going to be helpful if those Democrats don't have an agenda that's going to be effective for assisting black people, period. So we just have to think of better ways of owning these candidates in order to force them to do what they would never do any other way. So I hope that I got people to think about that. Um, you know, it's not about just being different to be different or going against another black person just to go against them, but we really need to be thinking about the ways we choose to approach something as important as reparations, because that will transform and revolutionize the lives of um, black people in this country. And, and that is something, something that needs to happen ASAP. So we need to approach this the right way. So we're not talking about the same thing 500 years from now. And it, we're still talking about reparations and that they done did us dirty for another thousand years. And, you know, we still coming at stuff with a, a elementary understanding of the system that we're dealing with. We got to go in with a much higher understanding, understanding and a, a, a much more pinpointed, accurate way of trying to force them to do what they need to do without doing it in a way that's going to create uh, a situation that is volatile for our people. And the best way is own the candidate. They have to do what you say or you and, and their career. And that's pretty much what it is. That, like I said, study white people, and you'll see that that's what they've done all the time. To, and most times they help each other, so we don't, they don't have to worry about it. But for those white people who who they know are against the system or who would work with black people to help them in any way, they get in their pocket and they dominate them and they force them to do what they want. And that's what we have to do. That's what's going to work. We've tried everything else. In my opinion, I could be incorrect. Maybe somebody else will come up with another idea that's even better. But I don't see that in America the way it is and has been. So I just wanted to toss that out there, too. Um, but I completely support reparations. I just think we need to come up with the best way possible to do it right and do it right the first time. And um, again, the biggest thing in a nutshell is you can't repair something when the damage is ongoing. So there has to be changes in the way things are done before you even ask for reparations. If they're still killing you wholesale in the street and you're asking for reparations, 
then essentially they're either going to have to pay you reparations in perpetuity because they're continuing to do you wrong or you stop what they're doing legally and you make it make heavy legal penalties for those things. And then you say reparations now that we legally have a binding um, accord that prevents you from doing what you've always done to us. And I, I remember uh, Lord Jamar recently made a statement that was quite, um, I think, important in reference to this whole reparations thing, because he has said, he said, you could be a black immigrant that just moved to this country two years ago, and you will face the sort of terrorism and abuse that would warrant reparations. As, even as an immigrant, just due to the fact that if you're black, you're treated like every other black person. And that's true. My father's had experiences in this country that would warrant reparations. I've had those experiences. I'm not asking for it, but I'm just saying, like, this, this idea of separating ourselves when we're all looked at and treated the same is, is just mental illness to me. The, the idea is that a specific group needs what they need because this has been their reality as the people who um, built this country and really um, just made it everything that it is that we hold sacred today. But um, outside of that context, you have, like I said, you have immigrants who get treated the same way. And they just don't know no better. They don't know what they're walking into. Most people think coming to America is the land of milk and honey. And when they get here and there's police brutality and all the other stuff that comes with, with being in this country, they're, they're shell-shocked a lot of the time. You know, so I just wanted to toss that out there, too. But I just thought that that was a, an interesting point that he had made. I never heard anybody say that, but I've pretty much talked about similar things in the past as far as just how we are all treated. And um, that's it. So, again, thanks to everybody who has, you know, been with us this evening and took the time out of their schedule to, to listen to us. I hope you've gotten uh, things that have helped and have been of constructive value. Thanks to Brother Hayes for chiming in. Thanks to you, Brother Jenna, um, for asking those questions. And um, hopefully if anybody else has questions and they weren't able to chime in tonight, just write that information down. And hopefully you'll be able to call in next week and ask those questions or discuss the things that um that you might want to add to the what we were talking about, and um, we're going to get ready to uh, say the prayer and close out. Did you have any last thoughts or ideas, Jenna, before we move towards the prayer, or are you good to go? You muted yourself? I don't hear you. Okay, so I guess he he must have muted himself, and he's um, unable to unmute himself. So we're about to no. say the prayer, and we'll get ready. Oh, go ahead. Did you have any last thoughts? No, nah, go ahead. Minute? Go ahead. You've done a wonderful okay, cool. job, man. I'm here. Okay, no problem. I just wanted to make sure. All right, so we're about to say the prayer and close out. Thanks to everybody, um, uh, again, for spending your Tuesday evening with us. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you, to those who are listening live and to those who are listening to the podcast at a later date. And, again, we hope that you get um, information that is of constructive value to you and to those that you love and that is helpful to you in some capacity at some point. Um, that's what we do this program for. And we try to bring you the best information possible to be able to help you either understand things that are important or be able to help you with certain things or help you better understand things to make better decisions. So hopefully that um, everyone, everyone who's been listening has gotten something of constructive value out of the discussion tonight. We thank you for that. So we'll say the prayer now and get ready to close out. Our creator, we ask that you help us to remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy with justice ASAP, and let's end the prison industrial complex and human trafficking as well. I am in the love of the all. 
and all love is in me. I am a part of the all, and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all, and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. Once again, thank you all for spending your Tuesday evening with us. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Please stay safe and out of the hands of those slave catchers. One of the basic things you can do if you drive is to buckle up, which gives them no reason to have to pull you over in the first place as long as you're not driving crazy. Also, if you do partake of any um, any anything, alcohol, marijuana, or any mind-altering substances, a great code to have is to stay indoors wherever you are partaking of those substances until you are sober before you walk the street. That way they can't stop you from being intoxicated in public and create a nightmare for you that way or try to set you up because you're not in your right mind. So just think ahead. Be, um, like we said on the previous show, proactive rather than reactive, and that can prevent a lot of the trouble that we t- tend to experience as a people. Please stay safe. Stay out of the hands of those slave catchers. Um, a matter of fact, uh, minimize contact and minimize conflict, both with colonizers and especially with other black people. We suffer enough without us being bringing more suffering onto each other by the way that we treat each other and treat ourselves. Thank you. Peace and love to you. One love and the who to each and every one of you. Rest well, and we'll see you again next week, Tuesday, Creator Willing. Peace and love. Peace and love. Devil search for the secrets to immortality. I alter my physical chemistry. Bop the valley of the shadow of death. I exist even when no things are left. Vibrations transcend space and time. Pure at heart because I deal with the mind. That's why I compose these verses. Lord of all worlds, my thoughts are now universes. Written on these pages is the ageless wisdom of the sages. Ignorance is contagious. So I hope you keep your focus. There's no hocus pocus. In the end, it's just us. Devil got brother killing brother. It's insane. Going out like Abel and Cain. Wise enough and use your brain. There'll be no limit to the things that you can gain. In positivity, balance it with negativity. Until then, ain't the devil happy. Everybody and we like fools destroy our own bodies. Too many niggas chilling, bad boys boom boom. This leaves no room for the flowers to bloom. Seeds blow in the wind, another drug killing. What are we accomplishing? Nothing.